Before we get started with today's show, I want to tell you guys about betonline.ag. It's time for the biggest week of the sports calendar. The start of hockey, basketball opening night, football, both college and pro in full swing, and the San Diego Padres are playing in the league championship series for some playoff baseball. You can use our promo code BLEAV, that's B-L-E-A-V, to get a 100% welcome bonus when you sign up with the link in the description to this episode. Bet online, where the game starts. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, or good night. However, and whenever it is, you may be listening. Thank you for stopping into another fantabulous episode of the Take It Easy podcast live on the Believe Podcast Network. Except it isn't live because it is, as always, a podcast. Welcome, 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 everybody. It is October 21st, according to my count. It may not be that according to your count, but we appreciate you stopping in. However, and whenever it is, you may be listening. It's a Stripe Hype Friday on the show, and damn y'all, Blake, Jude, and I have had our curse strike again. For those who don't know, for like the last two and a half years, ever since the pandemic started in 2020, Blake, Jude, and I have been recording podcasts together maybe once a week, sometimes once every two weeks. We've done a hundred podcasts by now, and we always end up recording podcasts immediately before news breaks. And this first really became a thing we realized around the 2021 draft when we recorded a show and then literally like four hours later, the 49ers traded all those draft picks for Trey Lance. And we did a mock draft that was irrelevant basically by the time it went out. So it was like, we did this mock draft because the Dolphins have the three pick. And now all of a sudden the Niners have the three pick and the Dolphins have the six pick and the Eagles have the 12 pick. So this mock draft is irrelevant. Like this has kind of been a trend that's followed us for a while. This happened uh, with Von Miller's trade uh, uh, last year. Like news ends up breaking right after we record and literally 40 minutes after we finished recording. Kirsten McCaffrey got traded to the San Francisco 49ers. So I got to throw on the microphone real quick here and talk about Christian McCaffrey getting traded to the 49ers, which is fine. I'm happy to do the X's and O's analysis of a trade that nobody knows how well it's going to go or not, but it would have been so much more fun to have done it with Blake Jude, but we're going to have a lot of fun with Blake Jude watching Andy Dalton throw pick sixes live on the air coming up on the show. If you stay tuned long enough, you'll get to hear both Andy Dalton pick sixes recorded live on the show that we did for Stripe Hype Friday. But Christian McCaffrey got traded to the 49ers. I'm sure Juju and I are going to do a full breakdown on YouTube talking about this. I love this trade so much from the San Francisco 49ers. So, 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 so much. I love this trade from San Francisco. San Francisco gave up a draft's worth of picks to acquire Christian McCaffrey. It's like the Ricky Williams trade. San Francisco gave up an entire draft's worth of picks 
for a running back who's going to be their number one for the next three seasons as they grind to dust whatever is remaining of Christian McCaffrey's knees as he finally gets to play a meaningful football game for the first time in his six-year possible Hall of Fame career. Christian McCaffrey's going to the 49ers, and I love the trade so much. And again, I want to put this out here. Does anyone know how this is going to work out? No idea. Some factors at play here. One, the scheme of offense the 49ers want to run. It's incredibly built on contact from running backs and blocking from running backs, of which this might not end up being the greatest idea with Christian McCaffrey's body. Totally understandable. Second of all, Christian McCaffrey is already battling injuries this year, so if Christian McCaffrey stays on the field, it might be a great move. So scheme the 49ers want to run, that's going to play into whether this is a success or not. Injury concerns, absolutely part of it. Christian McCaffrey being a lesser player than he was three years ago when the Carolina Panthers could have gotten two first-round picks in exchange for Christian McCaffrey, absolutely these are all concerns. This is a classic case of great process. We'll see about the results. This is great process. See about the results. And for Carolina making this trade, it's obvious. This is the trade that the Jaguars made when they tanked for Trevor Lawrence. This is the trade the Jets made when they tanked for Zach Wilson and traded Zach uh, Jamal Adams. Uh, this was the trade uh, the um, Chicago. I'm sorry, the New York Giants made when they traded with the Chicago Bears for the right to take Justin Fields. This is the trade you make when you are tanking, and the best pick that Carolina is going to get out of this trade is their own draft pick that will lead to C.J. Stroud possibly in the draft this year. That's what Carolina is now playing for when they trade a draft's worth of picks in exchange for Christian McCaffrey, the best player the franchise has had, which, by the way, they should have done this three years ago. They should have done this three years ago. I was yelling three years ago on this show. Should have done it then. Could have gotten Trevor Lawrence. Could have gotten Zach Wilson. Could have sped up this process already. Instead, you spent three years just being 5-11 and 11 every year and going from Bridgewater to Darnold to Baker Mayfield to P.J. Walker and being the Denver Broncos. Tried to tell you, should have done this three years ago, but now they do it. They're going for that. From the 49ers standpoint, San Francisco going into this season, and I still feel this way now, they are a team with a great defense and an okay offense. If Trey Lance could put up rookie Baker Mayfield numbers, which was 28 touchdowns, 14 interceptions, and 4,000 yards, really 3,500 yards, that's basically, if you break it down, 220 yards a game, Two touchdowns, one interception. If he could be Andy Dalton, before Andy Dalton threw those two pick sixes against the Cardinals that you're about to hear on the show, the 49ers would be the best team in the NFC. And then Trey Lance got hurt. They went to Jimmy Garoppolo in that game against the Rams on Monday night. What did Jimmy Garoppolo put up? 250 yards on 62% completion percentage. Two touchdowns, one interception. So it looks like Jimmy Garoppolo is going to be rookie year Baker Mayfield, which is a fringe starter in the NFL, and that's going to be enough to get the 49ers by. What this adds to the what this dimension adds to the 49ers is San Francisco has five Pro Bowlers on offense. They have five Pro Bowl players on offense now. Christian McCaffrey, Debo Samuel, George Kittle, Trent Williams, Kyle Juszczyk. They have five Pro Bowlers on the offensive side of the ball alone. I know Williams is battling injuries. I know Kittle is a diminished version of himself that hasn't gone for over 40 receiving yards, I believe more than twice since his injury in week 14 of last year. I know it's a diminished version of that. 
And at the same time, the San Francisco team is so talented on offense, and it's also such a, a, a time a ticking time bomb that results are going to be the thing that determines whether this is a success or failure in the eyes of most. And it's understandable. I say this with Baltimore all the time. The if this, if this, if this thing that I play all the time is a little bit obnoxious when it comes to the 49ers. I'm sorry, when it comes to the Ravens. With San Francisco, people are going to judge this by the results. And what I will say and why I love this trade so much and will continue to love this trade is great process. Sometimes I talk all the time. I think process over results is the thing that should be judged. If you do the right process and don't get the right results, you should not be upset with yourself. Case in point, we're going to talk about this with Blake Jude, Denver Broncos. Good process, not great results so far, but good process. I'm still with the information I had at the time making that Russell Wilson trade nine and a half out of 10 times. Now, when they gave Russell Wilson a five-year contract extension, I was like, oh, they didn't really have to do that, but it's okay that they did. They might not like that on the back end of the deal, but they can get out of it after three seasons. Great process. Great process. Not great results. And you can live with that. I can live with Russell Wilson being terrible or being below average, or just being average, it was the right process to go for because Denver's had 12 different quarterbacks in six years. And with the 49ers, maybe this doesn't work out the way you intended. And again, the 49ers have only a compensatory pick in next year's draft. They are just not going to draft at all next year. San Francisco is doing right process with that move because they are already the second best team in the NFC. And we talked about this um, last uh, week with Juju on the Sports Radio Wednesday that we did. I just really want to see the Eagles play a great defense. And the only great defenses in the NFC are San Francisco and Tampa. So I want to see that San Francisco-Philadelphia matchup so bad. And if it comes in the NFC Championship, I love the matchup for the 49ers. And I love that they make that move to try and make the offense just good enough to carry an elite defense to a Super Bowl in an NFC where the Eagles are the only team I can point to other than them and say, that's a team that is very good. The two elite teams in the NFL, or the three elite teams in my book, are Buffalo, Baltimore, and Kansas City. The Eagles and the 49ers are very good. They are very good. And what San Francisco has at this point is offense that is average to below average and defense that is great. What this move does is the best you can do with the resources that you have to build an offense that is above average and getting close to top 10 for the next two seasons. No amount of draft picks you were going to use was going to be able to do that. So whether the results work out or not, this is a classic case of great process. Love this trade from San Francisco. Great process. Results. Nobody has any idea. Other people have a better idea than I because they're smarter at football analysis. We'll see what the results are regardless. Right process in making that move from San Francisco. Garoppolo drops back to throw. You're gonna lose the game. The seasons come and seasons go. The Niners need a change. If you don't throw check downs, you're gonna take a sack. Jimmy G is warming up. Yeah, he's your quarterback. 
No, don't throw it. Interceptions drive us all insane. Phones are calling. Ron Rivera wants to make a trade. If a rookie QB isn't in your plans, just call San Francisco up. They got your quarterback. They say he's smart and he wins games. That don't mean a thing. If since week one, Trey Lance had played, the 49ers would have had a ring. If your team's rebuilding, talent's what you lack. Trade two picks for Jimmy G. Now he's your quarterback. What's going on? What's going on? It's good to have you back. Good to hear from you. What's up? Uh, nothing much. Just been uh, been super busy lately, but I'm hanging in there, doing pretty good, watching some Thursday night football. Um, about to turn it on right now, so I'm looking forward to that. But aside from that, you know, it's been a standard couple of weeks, I guess. Just uh, like I said, staying busy with school and everything. Yeah, we get to watch Saints and Cardinals as a nice little. Uh, a uh, de-stress here a little bit. This is the first time I've watched Thursday night football since the uh the the Chiefs and uh Chargers game and I have to say uh I think I've made a good decision up to this point to oh, tune it not. Yeah. Without question, the last two weeks have been horrible. So, at least you can finally get some points now. <laughs> yeah, and and even the week before that was the the game where Miami and Cincinnati the one that you were at. So, uh yeah. I I think that uh I've I've made Good choices. Even if that game had the big moment of Tua getting injured, it wasn't an interesting game altogether in the grand scheme of things. Yeah, uh, that's true. That's true. And of course, Tua getting injured kind of takes a lot of the life out of the game away too, you know? So yeah, I, I, I do think you're right. It's been a really rough couple of weeks with that football. So hopefully this game's a little bit better. I mean, these are I think these are two relatively evenly matched teams. None of them are really in any specific playoff spot, but they're also like right in the middle of the pack too, you know? So I can see this being a pretty potentially good game. And right now it's what seven to three. So, you know, you get to see Andy Dalton versus Kyler Murray. That's, that's entertaining for me at least. (laughs) I'm not going to (laughs) complain. Amazon prime. I don't know if they get to pick the schedule or how that works out, but they were kind of good about, well, if we have to put every team on Thursday night football, we might as well put matchups of similarly skilled teams like, Saints Cardinals, right. those are two similarly skilled teams. Washington and Chicago, those are the two worst teams in, in the NFC. Uh, Miami and Cincinnati, that's like the seventh and eighth best teams in the AFC. So they, they've been good at putting those teams together for their matchups. I think next week is like Baltimore and Tampa. I'm like, that's perfect. The third best team in each conference, Baltimore and Tampa. Perfect matchup. Right. <laughs> yeah, no, it is. It is, And I think that's the idea, I think, behind a lot of like what Thursday Night Football does, especially this year where it's, you know, they're doing all the Amazon Prime stuff, trying to get people to, uh, you know, watch the pay to actually watch the game and have the, the pay-per-views, basically, I guess is what they are. 
Um, I think that entire idea is to make sure the games are close and good so that way there's actually a reason to tune into them because you know you know next week, you know, if it's gonna be Tampa and Baltimore, it's a big game in terms of, you know, record placement and divisions. I mean it's a it's a big deal for playoffs uh, implications, even though it's so early on in the season. So I feel like uh, there'll be a lot of people trying to tune into that game. And so I think it's probably the overall idea they kind of have is trying to make sure that people are able to, uh, you know, people are going to buy the, uh, the Amazon Prime and try to get into uh, uh, watching these games. Yeah, we're, we're going to laugh about college football a little bit later. But what, do you, what have you found interesting from the pros in the last couple of weeks? I know we've texted back and forth about some stuff, but what have you found super interesting? Yeah, I mean, the the entire state of New York has to be happy right now, right? I mean, what in the world is happening with the Giants and the Jets? They're actually good. Um, it kind of surprising to me, especially the Giants, who went out and actually has a couple of really impressive wins beating the Baltimore Ravens last week. I mean, this is a team that on paper should be nowhere close to winning eight games this season, but they might they might miss around and win 10 somehow, which is kind of astounding. I got to credit Brian Dayball on what he's done so far. I mean, he already looks like he's going to be one of the better coaches in the league, and he just started. I think one of the most important parts of establishing yourself as a head coach for the future is showing that you can win with whatever roster you have given to you. Uh, and what is he doing right now? He's winning with Daniel Jones at quarterbacks. So that should tell you all you need to know about him as a head coach. That is really, really impressive to see what he's been doing. For the Jets, I, I don't know if I would cr- credit Sayla as much as I'm crediting Dayball, but regardless, they have still bought in together and have been playing really, really well. I think they've kind of helped. They kind of lucked out a little bit more with some easier, I think, games uh, as a whole. Uh, in a couple, in the ca- couple of games they played harder teams like the Bengals, they got absolutely dominated. Um, but at the same time, I mean, they are finding a way to win these games, and I think that's something that they didn't do in the past. Um, so, you know, four and two is a great start for them as well. And even though I still think they're probably going to be on the outskirts of the playoffs. Um, it, they're still definitely going to be in contention because of this really hot start they have. Um, so, you know, very, very good for the New York team. And, of course, the Buffalo Bills right now are also going to be, you know, still, I think, the best team in the NFL. I, I don't really think the Eagles are up there just yet, but they are probably a close second at the moment. Um, you know, th- it's a really, really good week for the New York uh, – a really, really good couple weeks, I guess, for the New York teams. Uh, and all those fans should be very, very excited for the future of their programs or franchises. Yeah, the uh, the the New York. I, I still attest that we're not prepared to talk about the New York Giants because the New York Giants have a worse point differential than the Jaguars. Where we're not prepared to talk about a five and one New York Giants team, other than me just making the same joke every week here, which is if you're a team in the NFC who's not Washington, Chicago, Carolina, Seattle or Atlanta, if you're not one of those teams and and the Giants make the playoffs and you don't, you have to fire someone. Someone needs to get fired. It doesn't have to be a coach, doesn't have to be, it's just someone has to get fired. If you're Arizona, if you're New Orleans, if you're Detroit, if you're like Dallas, like someone needs to get fired if your team is going to miss the playoffs. Yeah, Green Bay too, Green Bay too right. in that camp. I, I I don't believe that Green Bay is as bad as their record suggests just because of the stupid, they couldn't score any points against the Giants in the second half. But I, I am with you on Green Bay. Green Bay is probably in that group too because they're not going to, I mean, we have to start considering the fact that they're not going to win their division. Right. I mean, we, I mean, two, two, only two games back, I believe, right now to the Vikings, I want to say. So I think that they still have an easily a good chance, but the same time, I mean, well, and, and to be fair, they also play the Giant, the Bears, and the Lions twice this season. So that should be that should be reason enough to be able to make it into the playoffs, right? But uh, at the yeah. same time, I mean, it, it is definitely a concern. They have a lot of holes in their team right now. I've heard that they're trying to uh, do anything they can to get Chase Claypool at the moment from the Steelers. 
I've heard rumors that, you know, Elijah Moore is now apparently up for trade for the Jets. So I feel like maybe they're going to reach out for him. They need to find some wide receivers on that team immediately. Because, I mean, Alan Lazar has been really the only guy they have right now. Um, Romeo Dubes, I think, has a lot of potential as a rookie. But at the same time, he hasn't really done too much yet. Christian Watts has not panned out very, very well. Um, you know, Randall Cobb's a veteran there, but he's not going to be an every down player for you right now. And he hasn't really been that big of an option for Rodgers so far this season. So it just kind of feels like right now they're, they're in a mess with the wide receiver core. Is this finally the year Brandon Cooks gets traded to Green Bay? After all the years of rumors, every goddamn trade deadline, is this finally the year Brandon Cooks gets traded to the Packers? It's been three years of trade deadline rumors with that one. That would be awesome for Brandon Cooks, and I would I absolutely hope that happens because it kind of feels like right now, I mean, he had a great season last year. He's had a consistently good seasons in the last couple of seasons um, as a whole, but I, I just feel like I feel like at the same time, you know, he's just kind of stuck around with Houston. I don't know if it's because of the contracts or if he's just waiting to see this new regime that's being built or if he's just a placeholder for the moment. But it kind of feels like his potential is being wasted right now there. And if I'm Houston, I'm looking to get a wide receiver in the draft upcoming soon anyway, so – the whole entire idea of trading away someone like Brandon Cooks wouldn't be a terrible idea, considering, you know, you're probably still going to be near the top of the draft next year anyways, even with Brandon Cooks. So what's the difference going to make in trading him away, you know? So I feel like that wouldn't be a bad decision at all. Um, I'd much rather, you know, him, you know, go to another team via a trade rather than having to, of course, let him go in free agency and, and find somewhere else to play and end up still being a good you know player down the line, you know, just wasting his contract at that point. So I feel like that would be an amazing idea if that did happen, but, I haven't heard too much about Brandon Cooks yet. I don't really know if, what, where he's being uh, thought of as, in terms of trade blocking or in terms no, of trading. No, it's, just, it's like just whenever the trade deadline rolls around, people will always throw Brandon Cooks' name in there because he's top receiver on a bad team. And anytime you have top receiver on a bad team, that's like the easiest piece to get moved at the deadline because receivers are like... I mean, I'm not going to say a dime a dozen, but like receivers are super easy to add and be like, oh, whatever. If he plays, he plays. If he doesn't, he doesn't. We'll just get a draft pick for him. Like... Brandon, uh, Brandon Cooks is just there's only like five teams that I think are sellers at this point because of how stupid football is. I mean, if I'm the Titans, I have forward thinking and I start selling pieces from the roster, but like teams that are very clearly tanking, like there's only five of them. So there's only so many people you can go to. I mean, you threw out what Chase Claypool. That's one of the like they're not quite the five tanking teams, but the Steelers season is over at this point. They're going to have a top eight pick in the draft. So like people are just going who are the bad teams and who are the players who we can trade from those bad teams is pretty much how people are calculating deadline deals. Yeah, and I'm sure that's all that's all, you know, GMs kind of think too, you know, like seeing like who's selling the players and try to see if they can get them for a pretty solid deal or something like that. And of course there are teams who are looking at contenders and thinking, "Hey, can I give them this guy with a large contract to try to re- help rebuild my team?" You know. So I feel like that there definitely is a scenario where I can understand that, you know, even GMs kind of think that same way. So I do understand that thought process, but yeah, I, 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 I do think that, uh, you know, maybe Brandon Cooks is more of an outside shot, but I do think they definitely are in huge need of getting some sort of wide receiver if they don't have any chance of really being at least contender this season. I can see them making the playoffs regardless, but in terms of being a contender, you absolutely need someone. If we're playing a game here, and uh, like, would it be safe to assume that the Packers and Cowboys will get in as wildcard teams? Would that be a safe bet to make at this point? I- if I had to bet right now, yeah, for sure. I mean, I feel like because there's not many other teams in that in the division or the conference as a whole, really, that are much contenders aside from, I think, you have, in my eyes, I don't really think Atlanta's contender either, but I think you have Seattle, ironically. Um, 
Yeah, the, really? oh, Arizona I, just got an interception. Arizona just got an interception of Andy Dalton. I, I was going to say maybe Arizona's had a really rough start, so I really don't know if they're going to be considered a contender. I would probably say them. Um, of course, Green Bay and uh, Green Bay and uh, Dallas. We already mentioned uh, the well, Giants. So this obviously, is the, I was going to say I this mean, is the question I would have here is. Who would have thought at the start of the season that if we're fighting for the seventh playoff spot, that the Giants have a better chance of getting it than the Rams? Yeah, uh, I would not have said that. <laughs> that is uh, that is kind of uh, kind of hilarious to think about. Uh, I, I do I didn't even think about that before though. I, you know, between LA and San Francisco, whoever doesn't win that division is definitely going to be up there as well as a contender too. I didn't even think about that, but yeah, it kind of feels like. I don't know. If anything, that kind of makes me worry about more about the Packers. I feel like, you know, than the, than the Rams. The Rams, I feel like, are just still complete enough to where they can find a way to win enough games to be able to scrape by. It kind of feels like to me, Green Bay's lost a lot of games that against pretty bad teams, you know. And I feel like that at that point, I, I get a little worried about them. Um, but also at the same time, you know, you know, LA's definitely not in, in the uh, best position either. You know, only going three and three right now. It is there is a lot to be concerned about there. Uh, and of course, having the red hot New York Giants be five and one, and the Seattle Seahawks, believe I believe, what are they three and three or four and two? One of the two. Yeah, they're three um, and three at this point. Yeah, I mean, you know, there's a couple of other like contenders that you really didn't kind of think of that are right up there too now, and so that's going to be a uh, really couple. I think this this is the middle of the year where I think a lot of people don't really realize how important these games are, but each win and loss is going to be so important at this point because we always talk about the, the statistics at the beginning of the season. If you go three and three, what are your chances of making the playoffs? You know, there's always those numbers and things like that. But really, I mean, it all doesn't really matter until you see how they perform in the heart of the season. When you start really getting into division play, you start seeing some really tough opponents. Uh, this is when it gets, you know, real at this point, right? Every team's kind of settled in now. Every team really has their entire playbook. They have what's working. They have what's not working. We've seen a couple of injuries that have affected people. But at this point, everyone kind of has an idea what their team's looking like. I feel like now is when it gets really, really serious. And if you can't pull out some games in the next couple of weeks, you're in big trouble. Yeah, and, and last year was kind of the year for me that kind of made me realize don't do record projections this early in the season. Everyone was like, oh my gosh, Kansas City is 3-4 and four at this point last year, and Kansas City has this hard schedule. I'm like, yeah, they have a hard schedule, but the Chiefs are also really, really freaking good at football. So the hard schedule doesn't matter as much. And then they won like nine of their last 10 games. I know the Chiefs are an exception usually to the rule, but I'm looking at that and I'm like, yeah, Seattle's three and three. And like, it's shocking that they are genuinely better than the Arizona Cardinals. Like, I think very few people had that at the start of the year. Even people who had the Rams and 49ers like way ahead in the NFC West and the Cardinals in third place. I don't think people thought the Seahawks were going to be better than the Cardinals. And that's like the best thing I can say about Seattle. No chance you're going to make the playoffs, but incredible that you're better than the Arizona Cardinals at this point in the season. They might not finish that way, but I just think that that's a, that should be a high compliment for Seattle, given where most of us thought they were tanking for Bryce Young at the start of the season. Right. And I mean, in hindsight, I kind of feel bad for Seahawks fans because I mean, Geno Smith is playing as a top 10 quarterback right now, which I never thought I'd ever say. But at the same time, he's kind of doing this and in turn is really, really hurting their tank. <laughs> you know, so it, it does kind of suck for them in, in that kind of sense where, I mean, you know, what are they going to be, you know, you know, who are, who are they going to be? Who's going to be the future of that quarterback position? You know, I mean, I feel like at this point, you know, maybe maybe Geno Smith gets a couple of seasons and maybe they get to the point where they do have a bad season. They can get someone else later on, but 
kind of is like to me, you're missing out on really two potential generational prospects right now in CJ Stroud and Bryce Young, who are probably going to go one and two at the moment, I feel like. But if if not that, they're definitely going top five. So, uh, you know, that that's going to be unfortunate for them. If, if they end up getting seven wins, you know, they might fall out of the top five. And that's going to really, really hurt their chances of uh, getting one of those top guys. I mean, we thought the Giants were going to be Will Levis' team. How about the Seahawks? How about the Seahawks being the Will Levis team? Or maybe they roll with Geno another year because they don't like a specific prospect and and they just keep adding to a defense that is really bad and people aren't talking about it. But like maybe that's the game plan is just we're going to just keep rolling with Geno or Geno alternatives until we find a quarterback that we like. Maybe uh, maybe Hendon Hooker gets the call now after what he's been doing. I can see that too. <laughs> Hendon Hooker, who's older than Mac Jones. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, he's like twenty four or twenty three right now. He's he's really really old. But maybe 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 they give him a call and give him a chance to. I don't know. I'm just you know, I'm just thinking out loud. But at the yeah. same time, I mean, I feel like you know they're definitely looking at the tier two of quarterback options now, and I feel like. You know, you 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 really have to hit on a quarterback. You really cannot afford to miss on a quarterback prospect unless you're at the L.A. Rams with Jared Goff and you can just trade him for Matthew Stafford, right? Like that, that's just the exception. But I mean, for the most part, like you have to hit on a quarterback if you really really want to have a chance of of contending for the future. So I really think you know if I'm if I'm if I'm the Seahawks and I don't see a prospect I absolutely love at my pick to take. I'm not taking a quarterback, you know, I'm, I'm going to go and wait for next year. And that, that's the problem though. Cause you know, you know, that everyone's going to love CJ Stroud and Bryce Young. So, and, and obviously I mean, if you're a Seahawks fan, you should absolutely be happy with what they're doing right now. I mean, they're contending, right. And you want to see a team contend and that's totally understandable. Like uh, I do get that, but at the same time, looking at it, from, you know, looking at it from where I kind of see it being, I feel like there's a very high chance that the Seahawks do not make the playoffs. And now they're going to be stuck as an eight, nine team with, you know, the same exact problem next year with, you know, in which they don't really have any young quarterbacks to, to kind of develop or rely on unless they're able to get someone later on or trade up or something like that. You know, I feel like that creates a lot more problems as a whole for the future of the team. But aren't like, Jalen Hurts and Tua kind of breaking that model a little bit. And I know the Dolphins are going to be like fighting for a wild card spot. So it's not the same thing the Eagles are doing. But isn't that kind of like the point of you can get solid quarterback play as long as it's cheap and your team is going to be okay? Like, like I know Philadelphia thinks Jalen Hurts is like possibly a quarterback of the future, but I don't think most people are thinking Jalen Hurts is going to get a big contract. He's in like prime franchise tag territory, or they're just waiting for someone better to want to play for the Eagles. Cause again, like the, the golden goose for everyone is like, yes, a star quarterback actively wants to play for your team and wants to force a trade to your team. Yes. That is a perfect scenario to find yourself in. But if you're not that, then like, I, I guess there's alternative model. I don't know. Like Seattle's not going to be good enough to get a top quarterback, but the solution isn't to like do what the 49ers did and trade three first rounders for Trey Lance. Like the solution is just keep playing Geno for cheap and we have a bunch of talent and we're going to keep being a middle of the road team until we get exactly the quarterback we want. Yeah, I, I could, I could actually see that. And I mean, that, that's going to be great for Pete Carroll in terms of his chances of keeping the coaching job in Seattle, right? Is just continue to win enough games to where you're not going to get fired. So I can definitely understand how that could be a, a possible scenario and a good scenario. And 
And I really do think that this is that what they're doing right now is still showing that Pete, Pete Carroll's a very, very good coach still. You know, like that's absolutely the case, I think, right now. Uh, Russell Wilson has left Seattle and has looked horrible, right? So there's that question mark on if maybe Seattle, maybe Russell Wilson was a fraud all along. Maybe Seattle is the one who made Russell Wilson. Maybe that's a little bit of a stretch. But at the same time, you know, I, I'm just trying to create a scenario there. Um, yeah. I, I definitely feel like, you know, there, there's a lot to be excited about on that team. I just think that, you know, really you're just – I think Seattle is one of those teams that's just a good quarterback again away from being a contender. You know, like if, if they had prime Russell Wilson right now, we're talking about this team being like four and two, five and one. You know, they're at the top of the division. They're winning – you know, they're at the top of the NFC as a whole. Um, and, and I feel like that's uh, that's kind of huge to me. Uh, and, you know, the fact that, you know, it's falling out is great, absolutely. But is he going to do this every single season consistently? I, I just don't see it happening, right? So uh, I feel like, you know, if, if you're able to find maybe – uh a different option, hopefully in the future that you absolutely love, absolutely take it. If you get a Jalen Hurts type guy in round two, I would love that idea for them. That's obviously ideal. Um, but at the same time, Jalen Hurts is one of the bigger surprises I think we've had in the draft in quite a while. And even then, I, I agree with what you're saying. I really don't feel like he's particularly um, good enough to be considered, you know, big contract worthy at all either. You know, I think they really are benefiting off of having a great team right now. And that certainly helps. Yeah, I think Detroit and Seattle are kind of in similar places where it's like, well, we don't we haven't liked any of the options on the table thus far. So we're just going to keep playing Jared Goff and they're paying a lot of money for Jared Goff. So it's not exactly apples to apples. But, you know, the Seahawks are like, we only have to pay Geno seven million dollars. So, like, we'll just keep kind of rolling with that until we find exactly the guy that we like, which you know, everyone wants to have prime Russell Wilson, except Denver. Denver doesn't get prime Russell Wilson, but everyone wants to find that. And there's like 16 of them, which I don't know. Like, I think Derek Carr would be great for Seattle. Like if you put Derek Carr on that team, they draft a couple blue chippers the next couple years. I think that would be a fine football team. But yeah, I think ideally they want to get one of those top quarterbacks and develop them into a stud. I just I don't. Only only so many teams can get one of those and they're ending up in like Buffalo and Jacksonville now. So <laughs> Seattle might be one of those teams left on the outside. Or maybe we look up next year and Seattle is a tanking team because, you know, the the magical six weeks of Geno Smith was just delaying the inevitable that this team has a really bad defense and an offense we all thought was going to be like kind of what the Pittsburgh Steelers are this year. Right. Yeah, uh, I mean has been, you know, I mean, not great, like you said, but at the same time, there's been a lot of potential there, too. Tariq Woolen is a guy that I was very, very high on in the draft process. I think we talked about it a couple times on the podcast. He yeah. already has four interceptions right now, and he's looking really, really good. He's been balling out. I said it, I believe, once. I thought Tariq Woolen had a chance of being a first-round talent. He is absolutely looking like that right now, so I'm very, you very You mocked him in the first round. One of our mock drafts did. we did, you had him as a first-round pick, so props to you. I think he went in the fourth or fifth round, and he's turning into a stud. Yeah, yeah, I did. Yeah, I uh, I was I was a big fan of Tariq Woolen. He was, I think, probably my favorite prospect in terms of sleeper prospects in the draft this year, and he's absolutely balled out for them right now. Uh, so very, very excited about that. I've, I've, I've enjoyed watching Seattle play football with Geno Smith, and that's just kind of crazy to say, but at the same time, I mean, it's been true. I mean, Kenneth Walker's looked kind of good lately. I, I know he's finally getting a chance now. Rashad Penny's, of course, out. Um, we're still seeing DK Metcalf be quite a factor in the team, which I love. Tyler Lockett's had a couple of solid games, even though he's struggled a little bit more recently. Um, you know, this is a team that really just, I, I, I think, honestly, they, they're in a better position than what they were whenever they still had Russell Wilson, right? Like, that, well, they definitely won that trade now in hindsight. 
think about it this way though like they they have last year they went seven and ten right and and maybe if russell wilson plays those four games that he got injured like maybe it changes it but like they went seven and ten last year and they're probably going to go seven and ten this year and the only thing that they changed was subtract russell wilson and subtract jamal adams because he had a season-ending injury week one like they they didn't change anything other than draft an offensive tackle draft a running back and draft a couple corners and all of a sudden they're exactly the same team with Geno Smith slid in for like that's a huge improve that's incredible that's incredible that they're yeah. going to be the same you team you see a that- lot of cat space yeah yeah that it's it's incredible that that's how that played out for them if they finished 7 and 10 now the difference is maybe they wanted to like plug and play Bryce Young and I'm hoping that he doesn't end up on the Texans and they ruin his career but like maybe Maybe the solution is like, all right, we have a seven win team base right now. Maybe we get a star quarterback. Maybe we don't. But at least we have a seven win team as things are currently constructed. Maybe they go backwards in the next couple of years. But I don't think the difference between Geno Smith and, you know, the worst starting quarterback in the NFL is enough to make that team a tanking team anymore. Right. Yeah, I, I, uh, I would agree. I think. All right, everybody, I am super duper excited to tell you about andcaller.com. You know how I always say support our dreams on the show? Andcaller is literally supporting our dreams. They are covering expenses for Blake, Jude, and I to meet up in Salt Lake City and watch Arizona play Utah. This road trip was a joke that Blake, Jude, and I came up with back in August. And thanks to Andcaller, it's actually going to happen. If you go to andcaller.com, and there's a link in the description to this episode, you can shop all of your wardrobe needs. They've got shirts, polos, blazers, pants, socks, and more. My new wardrobe is coming in this week. Super excited about that. For our listeners, Andcaller is offering two promotions for you. Two promotions. Number one, all orders over $100. Andcaller is going to cover the shipping. $10 to $15 free. They'll cover the cost. And two, any orders of $40 or more will get a free tie when you use our promo code EASY. That's E-A-S-Y with the link in this episode at andcaller.com. That's andcaller.com. Support our dreams by supporting the people who are help making those dreams possible. I think right now, Geno Smith looks to me to be a very, very, very good back, uh, British quarterback right now. Uh, and, you know, he, he might be almost too good. You know, there's always that, that kind of like, I think Ryan Fitz, I think Ryan Fitzpatrick when I say this, like the guy <laughs> that just somehow makes the playoffs for your team, like, you know, as a quarterback, even though he's not really supposed to be there. Um, but at the same time, I do think that uh, you can't help but be excited about that, right? I mean, in the very least, you have one of the better backups in the league right now. And I, I didn't really think we ever really thought of Geno Smith as that kind of guy until now, right? Like we just kind of saw him. I think it all started in that Broncos game where he outplayed Russell Wilson for four quarters, you know? Uh, so I think that, uh, you know, we're seeing, we're seeing a new Geno Smith. We're seeing a revived Geno Smith. I think it's bringing some excitement to Seattle. And even though they might not be the team to get Bryce Young or C.J. Stroud this year, um, as long as they're able to, you know, get continue to draft as well as they have lately and, you know, now they have a lot more picks to be able to freely use to get more players, I think they, they do have a great chance of building a pretty good roster here in the future. You just need that quarterback, like I said. Oh my gosh. So you know how Pete Carroll, I just thought of a great idea, but it would require a couple of things to come true. But you know how Pete Carroll's basically like doing the Mel Tucker thing right now, which is just like ripping a cigarette and calling all the run plays for Kenneth Walker at this point. 
Yeah. So what if Chicago gets a top two pick? And what if Justin Fields is available via trade? And what if Seattle gives up a second rounder and a third rounder and I don't know, like maybe a young player and then gets to develop Justin Fields for the next few years? Ah, this would be excellent. Well, that'd be great for the Bears, too. I mean, just to be able to get that many picks back and still be able to get, I think, an overall better quarterback. But yeah, I mean, Justin Fields is a guy that I haven't been a huge believer of for a while. I would love to see him get another chance somewhere else because it kind of just feels like right now he's not really getting, getting the chance to develop as a quarterback in Chicago. Now, I mean, there always is that that, that kind of worry that, hey, is, it, is this a Justin Fields problem or is this a head coaching problem? And, you know, we really don't know yet. We've we've seen players like Josh Rosen get chances elsewhere and they just somehow didn't pan out. So there's always that worry that maybe maybe Justin Fields is going to be like that as well. But I mean, at the same time, I think it's at least worth a shot. You know, if, if you're only giving up a second and a third for Justin Fields and he has the potential of being the future of your franchise, I mean, talk about a player that I think – you know, at their ceiling can be compared at least a little bit to Russell Wilson. That would be a good player to fit the playbook at least. Uh, so I definitely do think that, you know, and, and you also have Geno Smith, right, in your back pocket. So I definitely think that would be a, a shot that I wouldn't hate them taking one bit. And I feel like it could definitely help them, um, you know, find maybe a, a cheaper option for a franchise quarterback if he's able to pan out. But we did that analysis in 2021, right? We know Justin Fields is this top quarterback prospect. We, we know that from the draft and I think what would end up happening more likely is that no team would give him a second shot to develop for years more because that's what usually happens with like these draft busts is that they play poorly and then don't get a chance to develop because there's only so few spots at this point. Like I think about Baker Mayfield, if you gave Baker Mayfield, I mean, Gino, Gino Smith is the the classic archetype of that because remember he got his job taken from him because IKN and Polly broke his jaw and then Ryan Fitzpatrick took his job and, and went 10 and six with Todd Bowles. Then he went to the Giants, replaced Eli Manning. And the second they did that, after one game, they fired Ben McAdoo for putting Geno Smith in over Eli Manning, which was the right decision because Eli Manning was absolutely washed at that point. And they, they gave him one game and then fired the coach and put Eli back in and the the fan base for the Giants basically bullied Geno Smith off the field and then he just never got another chance. Like the the better the more prone situation is that you never get a chance to be a two year starter uh out the gate after your first try. Or if you do, it's in a crappy situation like uh like Sam Darnold with the Panthers last year or Baker Mayfield with the Panthers this year. Like usually you get the crappy jobs if you want a second chance because it's the teams that desperately need a quarterback. So, like, if you gave Justin Fields an actual chance to develop somewhere else, I have a feeling he would be a quarterback you'd want for the next seven to ten years. Because I'm looking at Chicago right now, and as crappy as their team has been, I'm like, I still want Justin Fields for the next three to five years because I've seen the glimpses of really good. Yeah, uh, for sure. I mean, I think I think you look at a team like the Seahawks, right? I mean, they're, they're a team that, you know, I wouldn't classify as one of those, like, bad teams, quote-unquote but are definitely a team that is desperate enough to be able to give up something like that for a quarterback. And, you know, we, we haven't really seen that kind of idea work out very, very well for those bad teams to go out and get a quarterback and try to see if he's good enough. But Justin Fields would probably be the best prospect, at least 
that would have done that, um, you know, in, in, in some sense. And I think the Seahawks would be one of the best teams to be able to, you know, give someone one of those kind of trade deals. So there's definitely a chance. Like if, if any, if that would ever work for anyone, I could see it working in Justin Field to Seattle. I would definitely love that idea. Now that's all speculative. It might not happen, yeah. but I feel like at the same time, it's certainly possible. Yeah, it would require Chicago to get a top pick in the draft, which uh, I don't think is a... I mean, it's possible. They're really bad, but I think a lot more goes into that than just, hey, your team is bad, because there's like... You know, the the Dolphins were really bad that year. They traded everyone and tanked and still got the five pick in the draft. Like, there's so much that goes into being a, a team that's at the very, very top of the draft. And the only team I can point to this year like that is is Houston. And unfortunately, Houston's going to get to ruin either Bryce Young or CJ Stroud, I'm afraid. So I just, I, I yeah. want to. Yeah. I hope not. <laughs> you hope that Houston doesn't ruin them, or you hope that they just don't go to Houston in the first place? I hope they just don't go to Houston. <laughs> yeah. I, I called my shot. I, I said, I, I think CJ Stroud's a Carolina Panther, and I think Bryce Young to Detroit Lion. That's what I'm hoping for. <laughs> so I, we'll, I can we'll get behind those. If if the, I will say if they're going to do that, I would get rid of uh, I, I don't think it's Anthony Lynn anymore in Detroit, but I would get rid of Man Campbell and the the offensive coordinator there. I would I would Maybe. rebrand Detroit and get a new offensive coach in there if that's how you're going to do it. And I, I'm not that's no disrespect to Man Campbell. He was always just a holdover coach at this point. And no matter how good of a job he did, he was a placeholder for whoever the next coach was going to be. Um, but if if I'm doing that, I'm bringing in new offensive coordinator coach person for whoever becomes the head coach of the Lions or for whoever becomes the quarterback of the Lions. Yeah, yeah, you're probably right. You probably want to get someone that can get in and develop Bryce Young to be the best of, you know, be the best that he can be right down there. Right. I definitely think that's a, that's a very real possibility. Um and, and I do think, you know, for what it's worth, I mean, I think Dan Campbell's done a pretty solid job of at least creating a positive morale around the team. You know, we've seen the team uh, really kind of rally behind each other. There's a lot of talent on that team just around now. You look at it back a couple of years ago, there really wasn't. But now you see guys like Jeff Okuda, Aiden Hutchinson, Jameson Williams, DJ Chark, I think the guy's got a lot of potential still, even though he's, you know, hasn't really been healthy to start the season yet, but um, DeAndre Swift got a load of talent. I mean, you look at a lot of these players on this team. There is so and Panay Sewell. There's so many guys that are just really, really good. I think that can really pan out if you just get the right coach and the right system in there. And I think if you can pair a guy like Bryce Young with a lot of these young potential guys, like we're talking about a really young core here that could, if they all reach their peak together, that could be a good football team. And like I said, like you said, it all just depends on if they can get a new coach and better offensive mind, probably. I think that would be necessary in order for this to be successful. But yeah, without a doubt, I think that would, that would be a great idea for Detroit to, you know, look to try to, focus on the quarterback now and try to see what they can do in the future. The thing I've learned over the past couple of years, more than anything is always bet on the well-run organization, always bet on the well-run organization and don't bet on the poorly run ones. Cause we can talk about Russell Wilson and the Broncos. I know that's what everyone's talking about this week, but like don't bet on bad organization. When you bet on bad organization, bad shit ends up happening. And the Broncos one is an egregious example. Cause there's so many things that have gone wrong this year. But yeah, I mean, poorly run organization ends up taking down even the best of talents, it would appear. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it, it absolutely does. And that, you know, I think that's why it's so important for 
teams to be able to, I don't know if you just saw that. Sorry. I don't mean to get off topic. I, I just saw a crazy uh, 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 catch and run by, uh, by the Saints about to score again. Yeah. Um, I think that's Kevin six. White. I think that's it Kevin is. White. Huh. That is Kevin White. That's, that's what I was going to get at. I was going to say Kevin White just made an appearance out of nowhere. I was, I was going to say that. That's, that's really, really cool. Um, but yeah, um, sorry, I, I got off topic. But uh, yeah, I mean, I, I definitely think, you know. In also, yeah, I mean, on, on the same note, I almost forgot Rodrigo Blankenship is a Cardinal. I'm so glad that he's back in our lives. Our greatest little nerd in football with the glasses when he kicks is back in our lives. Apparently, he's the Cardinals kicker now. Yeah, I, I was so distraught when the Colts cut him. I was so sad about that. I feel like he had, I mean, he had had some struggles. I'm not going to deny that, but I feel like he, he was really given a short leash in hindsight. Like, I feel like I've seen people rolling with kickers a lot longer than that and have paid, performed a lot worse, you know? So it was just kind of weird to me that he got cut so quickly. Um, but yeah, went out to Arizona and he looks pretty good right now. And I think um, who's Arizona's kicker? Is it Prater? Uh, is he yeah, a kicker it's right Prater. Now? He's yep. out. So once he comes back, once he comes back, it'll be uh, uh, a little different, I think. But at least you're, we're seeing him get a chance now. Um, hopefully, he'll send it with another team in the future. Taysom Hill package just cashed it in with the Taysom Hill package. Andy Dalton has two touchdowns already. Yeah, who would have yeah. thought? Uh, Andy Dalton. They showed it at the start of the broadcast. Since he took over as the starter, the Saints have like the fifth highest passer rating in the NFL at this point. Like Andy Dalton's actually been genuinely good as the Saints starter. And God, shout out Chris Olave. He's so good at football. He's so good yeah. at football. Wide receiver one on my uh, my NFL draft big board. Uh, so yes. I'm very very proud of that one as well. That was another good hit by me. I think so far. I mean, Garrett Wilson's been a close second, and in all fairness, I had Garrett Wilson as a close second too. So I really can't complain. But um, yeah, I mean, yeah, Olave's been a beast. I was so high on Olave. I, I thought he could be a very very good receiver next level, and so far he has really panned out. San Diego's own Chris Olave from San Ysidro. Shout out Chris Olave. San Diego 619 and uh yeah he's awesome he's awesome for the Saints yeah the the thing I've learned about bad organization like the Jaguars kind of revealed this to me last year and the difference between what Trevor Lawrence looked like then and what he looks like now when you've just given him stability for the first time since the pandemic like once you've given Trevor Lawrence stability look what that looks like it looks like someone you want to have as your quarterback for the next 10 years Seattle is a very well-run organization. They haven't been able to get the talent in the door the way that they did when they had like the most amazing run of draft picks in the history of the NFL with all those guys with the Legion of Boom. Like it hasn't been that, but they've still been stable enough to get Lockett's and Metcalf who was drafted by the team and uh, obviously all those corners now and trading for uh, Jamal Adams and drafting Jordan Brooks which hasn't been great, but he's still a pretty good play like it wasn't a bust of a first round pick like bet on stability of the organization over bad team because bad team will stay bad even when they get the talent like the Detroit Lions have had like the Lions were bad enough for so long now that they got Sewell and Okuda and Hutchinson and Hawkinson and all those top 10 picks and and still I don't I bet on them to not turn it into something meaningful and they'll be back at the top of the draft within, you know, three to four years. I would say Broncos are kind of in that camp, too, where they're going to go. The Broncos are going to look up and it's been 15 years since they won their last division title. I feel pretty confident about that one. 
Uh, that'll be really unfortunate. And uh, I think, you know, I think first steps, first things first, I mean, Nathaniel Hackett seems like a quick one and done kind of guy to me. I yep. don't see him lasting very long at yep. all. No, he's done. Uh, he's over. It's over. Yeah. I, I hope that they can get a good head coach and be able to kind of find a way to try to stabilize the roster right now. But obviously having Russell Wilson, as long as you do, uh, that is not good. Not, not the least bit good because he is going to, I think, hold your team back for the foreseeable future. Uh, right now so you got to hope that you could find someone uh, or not someone but something to hold on to until then well, I think, so you know? so in fairness I will say I know it's like a seven-year contract but they can get out of it relatively easily after three years so like this year plus two more years he's going to be their quarterback and he'll get the chance to work through it but like it might take like a 30 million dollar dead cap hit but they they can get out of it after 2024 yeah so yeah, I hope I hope maybe they can find a way to hold on and get ready for this crash landing that's about to be their franchise right now because uh, they <laughs> they need to uh, they need to find a way to stabilize soon and try to find that that trade was just a complete trap it feels like now in hindsight right like I mean that is that is single handedly kind of ruined anything they've really had at this point right you look at guys like mm. Patrick Sertain Bradley Chubb you know like I feel like. That, that really sucks for guys like that because now you're you kind of lost any chance at really being much of a Super Bowl contender at all in the next several years. And so now you get a question whether or not you're going to stick with, you know, Denver and stay there or are you going to look elsewhere for a, another team, which I think obviously I'd do the second option if I had a choice. So, um, you know, it's going to be really interesting to see how these next couple of, uh, um, you know, years pan out, I think, for Denver because if they're not – they're really, really bad for the next three or four seasons. Is Russell Wilson going to get benched? Is he going to get cut? You know, like what's going to happen? Uh, and that's going to be a, a very, very uh, fun thing, I think, to look back on two, two, three seasons down the line. I was having this conversation with our friend Juju on Monday, which was I feel like everyone's being disingenuous and crushing the Russell Wilson trade because I said at the time, and I still feel this way now, like when I when the Broncos made that move, I was like, are they a playoff team in the in the AFC? And in my mind, I was like, maybe they're the seven seed, but like they're not really a great team. And it made me realize there was nothing the Denver Broncos could do that would make them a Super Bowl team like they're They could have taken years to build an offense with a rookie quarterback and receivers and and running and drafting a running back and drafting offensive line. They just did that the last four years, though, like they, they got good players in the draft. And unfortunately, they gave it the keys to Drew Locke and Teddy Bridgewater and the 12 quarterbacks they've had in six years, including a wide receiver starting a game at quarterback. So like. This was just like the alternative to making the Russell Wilson trade was for them to kind of lie down and die and just accept that they're going to be the equivalent of what the Dolphins were when the Patriots were running shit in the AFC East, where like they're not going to win a playoff game for 15 years. But they have these great defenses all the time, and I just don't know. I feel like there's nothing they could have done that would made them Super Bowl caliber good. There was just there was no singular move that Denver could do, even if it was trading for Aaron Rodgers. There was no singular move Denver could do that would make them Super Bowl good because they're like four stages behind being a Super Bowl team. The biggest and baddest of which is the fact that they play in a division with Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid. Like, I I still would have made the even knowing what I know now, I still would have made the Russell Wilson trade like nine and a half out of ten times back in March. Maybe, Um, you know, I I I think I mentioned it before. I, I I did kind of 
think that Russell Wilson might have been kind of not not going downhill, but I think slightly regressing at least a little bit. Yeah. Um, and, and I think that this was a move that Denver kind of made that would have suggested in my eyes that they were going to try to contend and win now. So that was that was why I think I was really confused about it. It kind of seems like two different philosophies kind of tied into one. You know, are, are you going to look, try to find a new young quarterback or are you going to go and get a veteran? They went with a veteran that is declining. And I feel like, like you said, you look at the teams around them, it, it just kind of feels like that was never going to work out anyway. So I was a little confused by that because I think if a team, if, if the, the Denver Broncos look back in hindsight, you know, and, and, see, and sees what they see now and says like, hey, there's eight teams in the AFC that are better than us. Why would we do this? You know, um, I think that they would have probably avoided that. Um, so, you know, I, I definitely see the the idea of liking the trade because Russell Wilson was such a highly touted quarterback. And if he was still prime Russell Wilson, absolutely, that sounds like a great idea. But at the same time, it kind of felt like, like you said, the roster was just not up to par with other teams. Um, I, I, I will admit, I think I overhyped him even a little bit too. And, and I wasn't as high on him as everyone else was, but I was still pretty high on him. I thought they had a really, really good defense, which has not been the case. I thought they had a, a pretty decent wide receiver core, which again, has not been the case. Um, <laughs> it doesn't help that Javante Williams and Tim Patrick, two very key pieces to the offense are out right now. But at the same time, this team has not even showed any signs of life aside from that, even with Javante Williams on the field, you know, so it's been really tough for Denver and I feel like they're, they're on a downward trajectory for sure. But that's the weirdest part about Denver, according to football outsiders in that DVOA game that we like playing all the time, which, you know, does rankings and it takes like game situation into account. Denver has the second ranked defense in the NFL this year. They're better than the 49ers. They're better than the Eagles. They're better than, uh, they have Tampa listed fourth. Like Denver has a, a really good defense. I'm not going to say a great defense. They have a really good defense and the offense is just so poor that like they, they are what now two and four at this point, the offense has just been so poor and they've gotten unlucky that they just can't do anything. And like, you know, stop me when you've heard this before with Denver, Hey, the defense is really great. And the offense is totally incompetent. Like that's right. It's basically been Denver for the last eight years. It's just when you, when you give up $250 million, three first round picks, and uh, I guess you could throw in like Shelby Harris, but that was kind of just cap filler. Like when you give up all that, you kind of expect that it's not going to be Russell Wilson is a bottom eight quarterback in the league this year. Right. Oh yeah. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, at the same time, I think that, you know, maybe I was overstretching a little bit. I think Bam Browning has been bowling out for this team. He's been really the, I would say the biggest bright spot on this team as a whole this year has been Baron Browning. He has looked amazing. Uh, Alex Singleton uh, has been really good this year at linebacker. I know Bradley Chubbs had a couple of solid games, but you know, I mean, I, and, and, and I, I don't really know how much I like believe DVOA in terms of being like completely translatable to what I think of uh, as like a, a great defense, but I definitely think they are, have, they have been maybe a, a middle of the pack, maybe slightly above average of a defense so far this year, but at the same time, obviously that's not going to cut it whenever you can't put up points. And clearly they are not putting up points. We, we just saw a couple <laughs> of very, very ugly games from the Denver Broncos and that has clearly been a problem. And I really hope they figure it out because I love Jerry Judy. I love Cortland Sutton. I want to see these guys ball out. I love Albert O. I think he's a really, really fun tight end. I think he's got a lot of potential. Um, but these guys have not really gotten a chance because the Russell Wilson's not getting the ball right now. And I know that there's been question marks on the offensive line. Maybe there's a problem there. But at the same time, it kind of feels like this is just a story that 
it feels like as long as Russell Wilson's quarterback is going to keep continuing, it's just maybe the offense isn't good enough around them. But it's clearly a Russell Wilson problem, I think, right now because he's been one of the worst performing quarterbacks. It's almost like Geno Smith and Russell Wilson just traded bodies, really, is what it is like. You know, statistically, like, yeah, what it feels like. It, I mean, it, it that, like at least what, what our perception offense. was. Yeah, because we all thought Geno Smith was going to be the worst starter in the NFL coming into the season. Like our perceptions of what Geno Smith and Russell Wilson were, because like it's a OK, so it's a combination of Nathaniel Hackett is Nathaniel Kitchens and they're totally incompetent offensively and Dalton Risner and um, uh, uh, Garrett Bowles are out for season and Russell Wilson has played port. Like it's a combination of all those things. And that's how you get that team being currently ranked 30th in the NFL. They are worse than Washington offensively this year. Like the, the way you get to be that horrendous is a lot of different things going wrong when you have that much talent. And at the same time, there's no one thing that's going to fix it this year. This is like a multiple years reclamation yeah. project. And that's going to involve the offensive line getting healthy and firing Nathaniel Hackett. And because Russell Wilson, they gave up $250 million in three first round picks to get him. Russell Wilson's going to get the chance to work through his problems over the next couple of years. And I hope he does because it feels like, I mean, even, even though I kind of saw the regression, it feels like this is way too fast to be real almost, and I'm waiting for him to balance it out and fix it. I'm waiting for him to make a couple of big throws and a big game, and everyone's like, okay, he's fine. You know, I can definitely see that happening, and I'm not going to count out the idea of that, because we have seen Russell Wilson have, you know, streaky pasts. You know, we, we've seen him have a couple of really bad games, and he bounces back and does really, really well. So, it's certainly possible that he can do that again. It's just, you know, it's really worrisome right now, considering he's on a new team with a new head coach, and the entire team <laughs> itself has been really bad. They're 2-4. and four. They're not going to make the playoffs this year. This is a team that, you know, everyone thought with Russell Wilson could at least be, I think, somewhat okay enough to be like, you know, have a solid record at this point. So, I mean, there's just been a lot of concerns, I think, with the fact that it is a new football team. I'm not sure if the same, if Russell Wilson was playing like this for the Seahawks right now, I'm not sure if the same amount of panic would set in. Maybe I'm wrong, but I, that's just kind of way, the way I feel at the moment. Um, but yeah, I mean, there definitely needs to be something done right now. And, and I think, you know, of course, step one is always going to be getting healthy. And there's a lot of people that are out for the Broncos right now. And so hopefully maybe if they can get a couple of these players back and healthy, they can be okay. But, you know, Javante and, and, and uh, Tim Patrick both being out for the season, of course, doesn't really help either. We've got it on mute here, so I don't know exactly what's happening right now. But after a timeout on first and goal, Kyler Murray went over and started yelling at Cliff Kingsbury. Just started yelling at Cliff Kingsbury. And DeAndre Hopkins kind of had to put his arm around him a little bit to kind of calm him down a little. It wasn't like he was berating Cliff Kingsbury, but he was just a yelling at him going over to the sideline. Interesting. Uh, I, I feel like there's been some friction there. You know, I definitely, I definitely wonder uh, uh, how long Cliff Kingsbury is going to be a uh, Arizona Cardinal. That's another guy that I think is going to be uh, looking for a new head coaching job sooner rather than later. <laughs> yes. I uh, I would agree with that analysis that Cliff Kingsbury, hey, Arizona State's got an opening. I said in week two, Arizona State, <laughs> they, it would fix everyone's problems. Just just slide him over there. Uh, it, it would Was fix everyone's far? problems. He used to stay close by. Wouldn't be horrible, right? <laughs> 
Yeah, it seems like everyone would be happy with that. I mean, maybe Cliff wouldn't, but everyone would be happy with that arrangement. By the way, to the last point on Russell Wilson, he's had four good quarters this year. The first half against the Raiders, he was 13 for 14 with a touchdown. In the first half of the Chargers game on Monday, he was 11 for 11 for 170 yards and a touchdown and a field goal. So he's been good for four quarters this season (laughs) out of six games that have been played. He's looked like classic Russell Wilson. So uh, it's not like it's, it's vanished. And honestly, he hasn't looked terrible to start games. It's how he's finished, right? The, the last couple of possessions of the last few games they've had have just been horrible. Like I, I think I saw a stat that Russell Wilson only had like three yards uh, in the last half in overtime of that Chargers game, right? Like just three yards of passing. That is ridiculous. Or maybe it's 13. It was something really, really small. I can't remember the exact yeah, number. I think it was, it was I think I've seen the was. same stat. It was like 15 yards in the fourth quarter in overtime of the Chargers game. Yeah, that, that, that is ridiculous, right? I mean, for Russell Wilson in a, in a key game where you need to get first downs and big plays to only have that, that is wild. So I definitely think that there are some concerns about how he's finishing, but maybe, you know, maybe he can get a couple of games together where he plays like he did against Oak, or Las Vegas, excuse me. And hopefully maybe then he could be solid enough to, you know, string out and have a couple of successful games. All right. So I, I want to play this, uh, this game here with you because one of my favorite games when, when we're doing college football is to talk about how terrible some of these divisions are. But one of my other favorite games is how dumb the rankings are in the AP poll. And this year, it's especially so at this point. So I'm going to give you a couple of uh, of matchups here. I'm just going to say the numbers of the teams and then you have to to guess here. So the first one I have on this list, uh, you have number 14 playing at number five. What is the point spread for at number 14 in the country playing at number five? Oh, okay. This is this is okay. This is gonna be fun. I feel like this is interesting. Uh, number five, I I want to say is okay. So Ohio State's one, Georgia's two, Tennessee's three. I want to say Clemson's four. Who is five? Okay, I'm a I'm a. I guess I'm not gonna really figure it out. So I'm gonna go on a limb here and and say. Number 14 at number five. I'm going to go. Mm, I'll do 20 points. Oh, wow. Okay. You I, went. I'm trying to go high. <laughs> that was, it's fun. It's kind of what happens sometimes with this game. It's only 13 and a half. It's only okay. 13 and a half for that one. I, I was overshooting it maybe a little bit. I was trying yeah. To no, I get it. I was going to so, say 17. I was going to say 17, but I thought maybe because it was going to be ridiculous, I was going to go a little higher. (laughs) No, it's totally fair. 13 and a half point spread for 14 against five. That game is Syracuse at Clemson this weekend. Okay, Clemson. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, okay. Honestly, I might have made it a little bit higher too. Yeah. And, And then the next one I will throw at you is number 20 is at number 11 this weekend. What do you think the point spread is for that game? Okay, I want to say, is this, I, I don't know if this is, is Oregon play UCLA this week? I want to say they do. I think that might be this game. I'm going to go, I'm going to go 11 and a half. <laughs> 11 and a half, number 11 oh. is the favorite. 
sorry it's it's number sorry say it again it's number it's number 20 at number 11 yes yeah 11 and a half uh the correct answer is that number 20 is a six point favorite <laughs> oh okay oh god at <laughs> so number we were 11 too wow yes at number 11 number 20 is a six point favorite <laughs> okay that's that's wild yeah, that's a 20 point. This is this is the perfect part about this game. That's 20 points off for, or 17 and a half points off what you were guessing <laughs> because yeah. the AP poll is stupid and they're just trying to make up for their mistakes of weeks past and never correct their behavior. Uh, that game is Texas at Oklahoma State. Uh, number 20, Texas is a six point favorite against Oklahoma State. Really? They're six point favorites? Yeah, Texas wow. is a six-point favorite against Oklahoma State. I wonder if there's an injury or something that I, I haven't heard about yet. I'm, I'm guessing something like that has to have happened for me to believe that that makes sense. The line Things started out at Texas one and a half, so, so I, maybe there's something I'm not seeing there. But uh, maybe a lot of bets have went towards Texas's way. You know, it's certainly possible. The know, next one I have wild. on the list is number nine at number ten. What do you think the point spread for that game is? I'm gonna say, I'm gonna say number ten by. Well, I'll go seven. I'll go seven higher. points. You almost had it. Number ten is a six-point favorite in that game. Oh, almost said six. Oh. Almost had Dude. it, man. It's, so that that is UCLA at Oregon. Oregon is a six-point favorite against UCLA because UCLA is an absolutely fraudulent six and O team, and uh, they're all those Pac-12 teams are beating up on each other just like they always do, and none of them will make the playoff by week eight. They've all been eliminated. Right. Okay. Wow. That is. Uh... Yeah, I I I, I kind of saw that one. I think coming a little bit, and it, but again, even then, I, I kind of overshot it on purpose, you know, and try to see if I can get it close. Yes, uh, that it, it's so silly how that one worked out. USC lost our, our beloved USC lost, but they did. If they're going to lose, they did lose to Utah, right. whom will be road tripping to see in a couple weeks. I, I gotta say though, uh, very very bittersweet moment there for me. I was rooting for USC for sure, but I had. USC plus three and a half and Utah scored and they could have kicked a field goal to send it to overtime. Right. And I would have very, been very, very upset, but they went for two. So big shout out to Utah. Um, <laughs> if we go down there, I'm definitely going to be very, very happy about that. So I'll, I'll, I might even root for Utah just because of that. Even, uh, But uh, yeah, uh, that was, that was a really cool moment. I ended up winning $130 off a parlay. So shout out Utah. <laughs> So, so I realized something funny as I was going through the schedule for for that. That's the we are going to be in Salt Lake City the same week as Tennessee, Georgia, and that's going to be funny uh, because we will have something to say about that game, I assume, and also a possible Game Seven of the World Series involving my San Diego Padres could be on that Saturday because I didn't realize baseball goes until November fifth this year. Oh gosh, that that'll be that'll be fun. <laughs> wow, I, that's gonna be. I will be a wreck if that happens. But I'm assuming that we are a long ways away from Game Seven of the World Series involving the Padres. We're a long ways away from that one. Uh, 
but it's going to be fun once that ends up happening. Pac-12 will have already eliminated. This was the whole premise of when we were joking about going to watch a Pac-12 game was that the entire Pac-12 would be eliminated as a conference by the time that we got to that game. And as long as Oregon beats UCLA, that would be the entire conference eliminated from playoff contention. Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Wow. That's kind of funny. The UCLA is the last standing team. No, who'd have thought that? Yeah, I know. It's kind of funny how that one. I mean, UCLA still might lose the. the it would be funny if uh, if USC or sorry, if if Utah loses to UCLA, then Utah beats USC and then USC beats UCLA and they all go one and one to ensure that nobody can make the playoff. I think that would be really funny if that's how that one ends. If like all of them go 11 and one by just beating each other. Up. I definitely do. I can definitely see that. That would not shock me in the least bit if that did happen. That would like, that would I require UCLA to be eleven and zero come the last week of the season. Which that, that is true. That is true. Maybe, maybe that is a little bit of a stretch, but I can definitely see UCL USC beating UCLA. Like that's definitely a possibility. Of course, the other two have already happened. Um, mm-hmm. Or no? Yeah, yeah. You, you UCLA beat yeah UCLA yeah. beat Utah the yeah. week before Utah beat. To be fair, USC. Utah already. Utah had already lost to Florida too, so they were already kind of done after the first week. But yeah, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. Utah's going to the Alamo Bowl. That that's pretty much where we've concluded it. That one. Utah's going to the Alamo Bowl this year. Uh, the last the last uh game that I had here that I think is excellent. So uh, Iowa plays Ohio State this weekend. Uh, it, it's big noon kickoff. Because for some reason, big noon kickoff is either Michigan playing a crappy Big Ten team or Ohio State playing a crappy Big Ten team. I'm not sure why they keep doing that. Uh, the over-under for this game is 49 points. What do you think the spread is? Uh, oh God. If the over-under I, is 49. It has to be like at least. Oh, shit. Arizona Cardinals just got a pick six. Oh, my gosh. Oh. Oh, wow. Who is that? No. Oh, I mean, it went off the hands of the receiver. I don't know which receiver oh, okay. that is, but it was uh, yeah. wasn't really Andy's fault that much. That's good. Um, so I'm gonna guess Iowa is at Ohio State, right? I'm it is. It is at that. Ohio State. Yes. Like, I'm gonna say like 37. Like, there's no way they think uh, Iowa State's gonna score anything more than like 14, right? <laughs> I mean, that would be true, but like then it would go over for sure because then it would have to be like 51 oh, to 49. That's right. That's or right. That's 51, right. 14. Wait, wait. The over under is what? 40, 49. Sorry, is the 49. 49 is the over under. Okay. I'll go. I'll go 35 then. I'll go it is. 35. Of course, Rodrigo Blankenship missed the extra point. It is, <laughs> it is thirty points. Thirty, 30. points okay. is the spread between Iowa and Ohio State. Which means, if you're playing the odds on forty nine, that means if you're trying to hit the under, you would be looking at a final score of what is that? Third? Wait, that would be a final score of forty four. No, that would be thirty nine to nine. <laughs> would be your final score to get under and a 30 point spread so basically they're saying 41 7 is what they're betting on for the final score of that game 41 to 7 is what the projected final score is 
Nope, you're muted. My bad. I, I, I don't even hate that either. I feel like that, that's not a bad guess. I mean, I, I think maybe Iowa's defense is a little better than that. I don't see them. I don't know. Maybe, maybe, maybe I'm wrong, but especially, especially without Jackson Smith and Jigba right now, I really don't know if they're going to be able to hold. Or I don't really know if Ohio State's going to be able to drop 41 points so easily on Iowa's defense. Clearly, their defense is good enough to win them three games this season. So uh, it wouldn't shock me, but. I would be surprised if Iowa scored an offensive touchdown, <laughs> you know. So I definitely, uh, I, I definitely can see that being a, a blowout final score. Um, I don't know that. I don't hate the idea of going under an Iowa covering, though. I, I, the idea of like twenty-eight to seven, or or well, maybe like twenty-eight to three, is more like the one I'm thinking of. Like I can definitely see a score like that happening. Yeah, I, I, I'm kind of with you on the Iowa offense is terrible. And also, <laughs> it's Ohio State. So no matter how good your defense is, Ohio State might just put up 35 points no matter what, because CJ Stroud's probably going to win the Heisman at this point, right? Like I know Hendon Hooker is going to get invited to the ceremony, but CJ Stroud's probably going to win the Heisman. Oh, yeah, yeah. Hooker's definitely the favorite. Uh, or not, sorry, Stroud is definitely the favorite. Uh, for sure right now and and I think Hooker might be the distant distant second because it kind of feels like Bryce Young who might have been up there as well just kind of lost it to Hooker Um, but even then I feel like you know I I don't see the Tennessee making the playoffs even after this win so unless they do I I don't see Hendon really having much of a chance either Um, I've heard maybe DTR from UCLA can have a chance UCLA has an undefeated record Um, but again that's just really you know, that's really reaching. So yeah, it kind of feels like it's Strouds to lose for sure. Yeah, it's kind of like it would be cool if DTR gets invited to the ceremony. Like that would be cool for UCLA. Like uh what was it? That one year that the Navy player, was it Keenan Reynolds, got invited to the ceremony. It's just like, hey, that's a cool moment. You got to invite this player to the Heisman ceremony. Cool. He will not win, but at least he gets to be there to watch CJ Stroud get the award. <laughs> And we will talk about UCLA on the broadcast for like eight minutes. Yeah, yeah. That, uh, we'll, we'll have a couple of other invites who are just there to have fun, right? But, but yeah, it, it, it kind of feels – I think I even saw the Vegas odds right now is Stroud's like minus 180 for it. And I think the, the next place might have been Hendon Hooker at like plus 550 or something. So – yeah, it's like a it's a very distant second right now. It kind of feels like it's Strouds to lose, and that's that's without Jackson Smith and Jigbo, which is really impressive. Yeah, Ohio, Ohio State's the only team that has been. I mean, except for that one half against Notre Dame, Ohio State's been the one team that hasn't had like a weird loss type of moment happen. Uh, they're going to invite Stetson Bennett to the ceremony just for shits and giggles. I feel like that's something that's going to happen. It's just oh, uh, they're going to invite Stetson Bennett on behalf of Georgia. <laughs> oh, okay, yeah. On behalf of the entire Georgia team, I, that's better. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, but we're gonna put we're, we're gonna put the mailman there because he grew up in the coal mines of Georgia. But there's no coal mines in Georgia. He grew up in the coal mines of Georgia and turned into a walk-on quarterback. We're gonna do that whole story with Stetson Bennett that they've been doing for the past couple of years, which is like, hey, look at this guy who's clearly worse than the quarterbacks on his uh, that uh, that he's going up against and still won a national championship and might win a second one. Yeah, I'd give it to Brock Bowers before anyone else. Honestly, I mean Brock Bowers has been insane for them. Uh, so yeah, or really any of the running backs. But yeah, I mean he's definitely been. I guess he's there. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Like Georgia, Georgia is interesting because you said the same thing that was like painfully obvious to me, which is like 
Tennessee beat Alabama, and also I have no evidence that Tennessee is a better team than Alabama. They just won that game that they tried to give away, and Alabama has all these talented players. Even I mean, Alabama's not the most talented team in the world, but Alabama has the second-best team in the SEC, and Tennessee and Alabama are both clearly behind Georgia, which sucks for Tennessee because it means they're probably going to have to beat Georgia to play for the SEC championship game. Yeah, um, and I feel like if you, uh, you know, I, I feel like Tennessee fans have a lot of hope that, you know, because I, I, I feel like they're, I was talking to my friends about this, I feel like there is a path for Tennessee if they were able to keep Georgia close, are they are they still able to make the playoffs because they would have a very, very sign- big signature loss and a huge signature win, but I, I feel like, you know, it really comes down to how they play against Georgia to really kind of base on whether or not they have a real chance at all because it kind of feels like as long as Ohio state and Clemson run the table, uh, you know, assuming Georgia beats Tennessee, I, they would have to hope that one of these other teams doesn't, all right. We, we had to have a couple of upsets happen in terms of like conference championships, stuff like that. Cause is a, is a one loss Bama going to earn it? Maybe if they win the sec, you know, oh, yeah. you know yeah. it just depends. Yeah. No, so this is the interesting part about that for Tennessee. I think Tennessee has a bit as a clear path to the playoff, like win or lose against Georgia. And I know the most likely scenario is lose. Like I feel like two SEC teams are going to get into the playoff. That feels like an almost guarantee at this point, because then all Tennessee would have to do. So assuming that, um, assuming that Georgia beats Alabama for the SEC championship, like Alabama runs the table, Georgia runs the table. They both play in the SEC championship game and Georgia beats Alabama. That would eliminate Alabama from playoff contention. Then all Tennessee has to do to get in is just beat Michigan for the last spot. And like you can convince me 11 and one Tennessee belongs in over 11 and one Michigan, whose best win was against, I don't know, their (laughs) best win would be against Penn state. And they would have a loss to Ohio State, but Tennessee would have a win against Bama. Like Tennessee gets in as long as Bama loses the SEC championship game to Georgia. I think that that would as long as Tennessee doesn't lose to like Kentucky or something like that. Like Tennessee, (laughs) I would laugh at that if Tennessee if Tennessee goes eleven and one and their only losses to Georgia, they'll be the second SEC team in as long as Bama loses to Georgia in the SEC championship game because. I guess basically what I'm saying is two SEC teams are going to get into the playoff this year. That right. feels like an yeah, almost right. guarantee at this point. Right. And it can't be two off Bama. So yeah, there'd have to be someone else. It yeah. would, it would go to 11 and one Tennessee over two lost Bama who again, Tennessee beat Bama head to head. Bama right. would Please, be eliminated clearly. with yeah. that. Yeah. 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 Bama would be out. And then it's the same thing as last year. Ohio state, Michigan is basically a quarterfinal game. It's, Winner goes to the playoff, loser goes to the Rose Bowl, just like last year. And last year, Michigan happened to beat Ohio State and then get the brakes beaten off of them by Georgia in the playoff. But, I mean, it's basically a quarterfinal game between Ohio State and Michigan. Yeah, uh, I, I definitely, yeah, I think you're right. I, I think that, I don't know, it just feels like to me that Tennessee's going to have too many close calls and maybe get upset. Uh, and, and I just feel like the idea of, not being in a championship, we lose in Georgia is going to hurt a lot. If another team, you know, like you start to make the argument, like maybe, maybe I'm getting a little crazy, but maybe like 12 and one USC, if they have a couple of really good wins upcoming to UCLA and then they win the, the conference championship, then you ask like, is 12 and one USC who, 
really only lost due to a two-point conversion by Utah, who's a good football team too. Do, do they deserve a spot? Maybe, and maybe they even they play. They, maybe, maybe even they play Utah um, in the. Uh, I don't know if they can. Can they play them in the in the championship game? Maybe not. Uh, no, um, but they can but play Oregon. They can play Oregon, Oregon in the championship game, and that would be another top fifteen team. Yeah, if they if they win enough games, maybe do they make an argument? Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I definitely think Tennessee does have definitely has a, a clear path, even if they lose to Georgia. But I think they have to lose to Georgia like closely. Like they can't get blown out. <laughs> they can't lose by forty points to Georgia, which I don't even. I don't think Tennessee's capable of losing by forty points to anyone. But they can't. They can't lose by three touchdowns to Georgia, even at at this point. Which I guess I just assume that two SEC teams are going to get in this year because I've kind of in my mind eliminated the Big 12 and the Pac-12 at this point. I know like, again, USC could have one loss and then get to that point. But I guess it just in my mind, I think that only undefeated teams from the Big 12 and Pac-12 can get in because the Pac-12 is basically like just the Pac-12 is basically the AAC at this point. Like since the playoff has come around, the Pac-12 has put two teams in the playoffs and the AAC has put one and UCF should have gotten it one year. So they should have had two like the Pac-12. You have to go undefeated in order to get in. Even the ACC, you kind of have to go undefeated to get in. And as long as Clemson doesn't shit the bed the rest of the season, they should be fine and undefeated and make the playoff as the three seed. So let me give you a wild scenario. Let's say if TCU runs the table oh, and goes twelve and zero or thirteen and zero this season, are you putting them in over eleven and one Tennessee? Yeah, yeah, I am. But I, I don't think do. that's I don't think that's going to happen. But I I would put undefeated. I forgot TCU is still undefeated. But yeah, yeah if if TCU eight. is the last stand for the Big Twelve, I would say undefeated TCU gets. I think TCU might lose this week to K State. But I think yeah, if un, if TCU goes yeah. undefeated somehow, they're getting in one hundred percent. Yeah, I think at Texas and at Baylor are the two trap games I see for TCU. And plus, you know, you'll have to play in a conference championship too. So whoever they play there is going to be tough as well. Um, but I mean, they look, they, they've been winning these games so far and, you know, they, they just beat Oklahoma state in a really good game uh, came back even after losing uh, for most for majority of the game. And they have a receiver who is going to be a first time draft pick. You, you know, everyone needs to learn his name. Quentin Johnson uh, has been uh, balling out for this team. I think I just butchered that name actually. Hold on. I might've messed that up. Um, I know he's got dreadlocks. He's been balling out right now for them. Um, give me one minute. Yeah, TCU, TCU, yeah, Quentin Johnson. Yeah, I was right. I was right. Quentin Johnson. Yeah, he's been he's been balling out for them right now. I watched a couple of games of his uh, so far, and I haven't really gotten too far into scouting yet. I'm still pretty early on in my ground, my uh, scouting process. But uh, watched a couple of TCU games, obviously, and he has popped out already. He's going to be a beast. See, I forgot that there was still an undefeated team in the in the Big Twelve because I thought once Oklahoma State lost, and I, I was like, "Oh, that's it. That that's that's the last stand for the Big Twelve because they're all the Big Twelve is a really good conference this year. They're just all beating each other up yeah. because they're all really good. It's not like the the yeah. ACC Coastal where they're all beating each other up because they all suck. And Georgia Tech's won three straight games in the conference since firing their coach. Like it's not like that. It's like they're beating each other up because all these teams are really good in the Big Twelve. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I, I do really think that, uh, um, you know, both 
yeah, I, I am really impressed. Like Baylor's three and three, for example, right? Like who would have thought that entering the season? Baylor looked to be a really good football team, and they're three and three right now. So yeah, it is a very very good conference. And if TCU manages to get out of that undefeated, of course, that definitely needs to be recognized. And I think you know you can even argue this year at least the Pac-12 looked a lot better all around. You know, maybe not at the bottom. But through the at least middle and, and top end, I definitely think it's been pretty solid. And if UCLA manages to somehow run the table, I think you're definitely looking at uh, them being up there too. So Tennessee needs probably, I think, in my opinion, in order to make the playoffs, Tennessee needs UCLA to lose, TCU to lose, and you need Georgia to beat Alabama in the playoffs, in the in the champion Tennessee championship game. And that's the way they make it in right now. Yeah, Tennessee um, needs but, to man. be the second best team in the SEC, and there's a great chance that the second best team in the SEC makes it. But that would require yeah. Bama to be the third best team in the SEC, which is right. hard to kind of fathom because I don't think even that year they lost to LSU. I still think Bama was, you know, theoretically the second best team in the SEC. I'm trying to think who else was there that year because Georgia, well, they played Florida in the conference championship game. So it wasn't like it was a amazing SEC that year. Like, I mean, yeah, I mean, even that year, Bama was still really good. So Bama being third in the SEC is a little difficult to process because of TCU beating them and like kind of genuinely beating them, even though I don't necessarily think Tennessee, Tennessee, not TCU, Tennessee being a better team than Alabama on paper still doesn't I, I still don't see it. And at the same time, Tennessee's got that win to hold over them, which means there's no margin for error for Bama. Right. Yeah, uh, I, I, I agree. I, yeah, Alabama definitely got a tougher path, I think, now than obviously Tennessee does. But I still think they have a great chance to control their destiny as long as they win out. You know, they're going to be put in. Um, <laughs> you know how so, funny man. it is that you said that? Because basically the thing we're talking about there is Alabama, their path or Tennessee's path in is um, basically Georgia wins the SEC championship. Bama's path in is beat Georgia and you're absolutely right Tennessee has an easier path which is we're betting on Georgia to win the SEC championship and that's a way easier path than Bama's which is ah shit we have to beat Georgia in the SEC championship game yeah but again I also think like you know you you have to hope that one of Clemson or you have two of Clemson UCLA and TCU lose um right as well and so i think i don't think, I think that's much without, of a i don't think that's much of a problem for them well, i think tcu you know, anyway, and ucla no, no, are sure. gonna yeah yeah for sure but i, I think that you know com- combine that with the fact that you also need george to beat bama i think you know it makes it to where it's at least questionable like i'm not saying it's i'm not saying it's like 50 50 but i'm saying like i would say right now if i had to give a percentage for tennessee's chance to make the playoffs i'd probably say like 60 percent but that's assuming they keep Georgia close. Georgia beats Alabama. And like I said, you're probably looking at TCU and UCLA losing. Yes, exactly. Or Clemson might lose one of these games and then you get a bonus. I, I don't think they'd put three SEC teams in, but you get a nice little... They, they might, theoretically. If, if Bama, Georgia, and Tennessee all have one loss, I would put three SEC teams in the playoffs. Are we going all- to get a Bama-Georgia rematch after the SEC championship round one of the playoffs? <laughs> Uh, oh god it's possible well so let's think if if theoretically so say tennessee gets screwed and they end up being team number five so then you're looking at ohio state would be the one no i think it would be clemson georgia and then bama ohio state in that scenario i think that's what it would be yeah well yeah i I would agree but i feel like i feel like 
if, if we're assuming, okay, so if Bama has to beat Georgia, right? So, yeah, I guess it depends. It, it'd, probably, it'd probably end up being Bama, Ohio State, Clemson, Georgia then, right? Yeah, because like yeah, Bama, Bama has to beat Georgia to make the playoff. That's that's the only right. chance Bama has and to make. So the Georgia playoff. would have no chance of being the one, and I feel like Bama wouldn't be the three if Clemson runs the table. So yeah, okay, I, I yeah. would agree with that. Then yeah, Georgia, Georgia, as game. long as they don't, as long as they don't like royally mess this up, like lose at home or lose on the road to Kentucky or something like that. Wow, Kentucky can really spoil some seasons here. I'm realizing, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> I'm excited. <laughs> y'all can ruin so, so many ruin people's seasons else. right now. Oh my God. Y'all could ruin Georgia's season. Y'all could ruin Tennessee's season. Y'all could be the reason Scott Satterfield either keeps his job or loses his job. You could ruin so many programs right now. Oh my gosh. <laughs> we're we're going to go into the Citrus Bowl again this year and probably ruin someone else's job as well. <laughs> so, yeah. Kirk Ferentz is going to have that job forever. Just go into Citrus Bowls every year for 10 seasons, except the one year that he makes a New Year's Six Bowl game. Right. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I definitely think that uh, it's going to be it, I'm, I'm excited for this start to college football playoff talk because it, there's a lot of scenarios that are still on the table right now. You know, there's a lot of teams that can still easily make it at, the, at this point, And I'm excited to see how it all turns out. I, I am rooting for TCU to somehow run this table right now. I want to see him do it. I doubt it's going to happen. I know it's really, really far chance. But, I mean, aside from maybe at Texas, I don't think they're going to be underdogs in any other game this season. So, unless they get, you know, surprised and, of course, upset, which is, of course, certainly possible. It can definitely even happen this upcoming week. Um, I think that uh, I'm really excited to see how this all turns out. But, I mean, you're, we're going to look back on this, like, TCU's 9-3 and three at the end of the season. Yeah, the real yeah. But- That's why you are correct that they aren't going to be underdogs in all but, like, one game. They're also not going to be favored by more than seven in any game the rest of the season, except maybe yeah, West Virginia. Maybe West Virginia, yeah. they'll be double-digit favorites. They're not going to be double-digit favorites in any game they play the rest of the season. They almost lost right. to Kansas, and Kansas isn't... As, as much as I love Kansas, they're not actually that good. And TCU almost lost to Kansas. <laughs> fair, fair enough. Um, and yeah, honestly, they probably should have lost to Kansas, too, after that bad missed call uh, at the end of the game. Uh, and they also had their starting quarterback get hurt, too. So, yeah, a lot of uh, yeah, no. kind of things helped out... Um, uh, you know, you know, TCU there, or, but yeah, uh, that, <laughs> UCLA. That's so funny. Tennessee needs either UCLA and Tennessee to, lo- they need both those teams to lose. UCLA is a six point underdog this weekend. <laughs> like, yeah. it is more likely than not that UCLA will have lost by the time yeah. Tennessee plays another football game, <laughs> right. Yeah, that's that's so true. Yeah, I feel like I feel like it is kind of ironic the fact that we're talking about TCU and UCLA having a chance to make it, and they're they're probably going to get killed by a team coming up. Like it's not going to surprise us in the least bit, but yeah. it's just it's just how college football works, right? It's all about it's all about records right now. Uh, you know, all the undefeated teams are all the ones that have the eyes their eyes on it, and um, you know, college football playoffs is starting. You know, the playoff predictor is starting up soon. I would say. Um, and we're going to see a couple of these teams who are still running these, uh, you know, Cinderella streaks going to be top, you know, listed right at the top. So it'd be cool to see how this all turns out. But I definitely think that, you know, more likely than not, I mean, it, it's it really kind of feels like we're going to see I, my guess would be right now would be Georgia, Ohio State in, in some capacity, Georgia, Ohio State, Tennessee, Clemson seems like the four. I think that are definitely yeah. the favorites to make it right now. Because basically the way I see it, also Andy Dalton threw another pick six before the half. I had to double take to make sure that was correct. He threw he threw two he threw a pick six to I I, I want to say it was um 
God, who was it? I, I someone had a pick six, and then Isaiah Simmons had a pick six. He had two, he had three interceptions and two pick sixes before the half. <laughs> three. Andy oh, Dalton threw brutal. two Marco pick Wilson. sixes. Marco Wilson, Marco that's who it was. Marco Wilson and and Isaiah Simmons both had pick sixes within a minute of each other because God damn Andy Dalton. <laughs> right after I said they had a top five passer rating since he took over as quarterback, he threw two pick sixes. Right after I said that they were not terrible with Andy Dalton, he threw two pick sixes. <laughs> of course, right? Of course. It's just how it happened. Um, <laughs> I just I, I had to double take to make sure that was correct. But basically, the way I see it, there are six teams that can make the playoff at this point. You named four of them. The other ones I would say are Bama and Michigan and Ohio State. Yeah. Michigan is basically a quarterfinal game. So that's going to eliminate yeah. one of those two, which means it's four teams competing for five spots. And Bama has to beat Georgia to get in. And uh, as if Clemson loses one of these stupid games to like, I don't know, like, I mean, they already played Wake Forest. If Clemson loses to Syracuse or if Clemson loses to like Florida State, I think they played Florida State last week, too. So not them. It, who does Clemson play the rest of the season? They can't be playing anyone good. But if Clemson, Wake as long as they, oh, they play Notre Dame, right? Yeah, I think they play. I mean, I know Notre Dame sucks, but they play Notre Dame still this year. But like, oh, they play Notre Dame the week that we go to Arizona, Utah. That's kind of cool. Um, yeah, as long as Clemson doesn't lose any game. Oh, they play Miami. I guess maybe they'll lose to Miami at home, but like as long as Clemson doesn't shit the bed, they'll get into the playoff. But if they do lose, then it opens the door for three SEC teams theoretically. But yeah, Clemson's going to be fine. They're going to go undefeated. Georgia's going to go undefeated in the regular season, unless they lose to Tennessee, at which point that opens a whole can of worms. Cause then is Georgia, Alabama, a play in game for the college football playoff. Like that opens up way yeah. too many doors if Tennessee beats Georgia somehow. But uh, I, I think Georgia is going to be that double would digit madness. Yeah, it'd be crazy if that happened, because then you have a new possible powerhouse after I've literally been saying for two years what happened at Tennessee in the 1990s can never happen again. <laughs> and theoretically, they could be the number one team in college football or number two behind Ohio State. But still, like, I just... Oh, oh, hold on, hold on. You, would you would you put Ohio State over Tennessee if Tennessee goes undefeated? Is Ohio State undefeated? Yeah. If if Ohio State runs the table and beats Michigan, I would put them over Georgia. That's how good I think Ohio State is. Okay, but if Tennessee runs the table and then beats Alabama again in the SEC championship. <laughs> we're talking we're talking 13 and 0 Tennessee Volunteers. 13 and 0 and they beat Alabama twice and beat Georgia. <laughs> they I have guess to be number 1. Respect to, be, to right? yeah, but but they never beat number 1. They would have beaten number 3 and number 2. Like I mean Ohio State god, I mean semantics at that point. It would be Man, Ohio State, Tennessee in the national championship would be awesome. If we get to that place, Ohio State, Tennessee would be such an amazing game. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I would, I would love to see that. By the way, because I mean, I, I, I am a Tennessee hater, but as you may know, I was born in Knoxville, right? So <laughs> I, I also have watched a lot of Ohio State games. I, I, you know, I have a good friend who lives really close to Ohio State. Of course, it's not very far from me either. 
the madness that would happen around this area would be hilarious. I want to see that. <laughs> After last year, Cincinnati made the playoff and the Super Bowl. It's just abject chaos because you have Ohio State, the local college versus Tennessee just down the road. I mean, Right. Yeah, I mean that would be I guess yeah, respect if they if they go undefeated beat Georgia and Bama twice. I guess yeah, out of respect Tennessee gets to be the one seed over Ohio State cuz Ohio State didn't play anyone other than Michigan. But I mean, goddamn, that would be stupid if that happened. That would be the <laughs> stupidest shit ever if that happened. <laughs> and and the funny thing is Georgia probably still makes the playoffs even if they lose. Oh, one hundred percent, one hundred percent. Georgia, st- Georgia will make the playoff as long as they don't lose twice. They could lose once right. and still make but the playoff. But, okay, so assuming they handle, really, I mean, assuming they handle business against Kentucky, because they don't really think they have any other tough opponents left aside from Kentucky and Tennessee. They even if they lose to Tennessee, they wouldn't be in the SEC championship. So. Really, you just had to hope that they win every other game except for Tennessee. That game really doesn't matter in hindsight, right? If that happens, then just flip the roles of Tennessee and Georgia, which is Georgia needs Bama to lose to make the playoff. But if Bama wins, then they don't make the playoff. It's basically, I mean, like we're assigning Georgia the victory against Tennessee because they're going to be like eight, nine, ten point favorites in that game. That game's played in Georgia. So like we're we're assuming Georgia is going to win that game. But if if they don't just flip the roles of like we were saying Tennessee needs Bama to lose the SEC championship game, just flip the roles on that. Just t- Georgia would have to have Tennessee lose or would have to have Bama lose to Tennessee again in the SEC championship. And then they would make the playoff because two SEC teams get in. And by that standard, somehow Georgia becomes the third best SEC team somehow <laughs> by that measurement. If Bama wins the SEC championship against an undefeated Tennessee, technically <laughs> Georgia's somehow the third best team in the SEC. The madness. I, I Even then though, I still feel like if, if Clemson, if Clemson loses, right. Yeah, I feel like I wouldn't. I wouldn't be shocked at the idea of Georgia three SEC teams. We see Tennessee, yes. Alabama, if, and Georgia who are all one loss. If Alabama, Tennessee, and Georgia all have one loss, which would mean Alabama would have to win the SEC championship for that scenario to happen, and they beat whoever wins between Tennessee and Georgia. If that happens, and Clemson loses to someone, I don't think Clemson's going to lose to anyone. But if Clemson loses to someone, three SEC teams make the playoff. No question. <laughs> That would be a lot of fun. <laughs> Which, by the way, like I know people are like, yeah, that's kind of messed up because those other conferences, the, the three best teams in college fo- or three of the four best teams in college football right now currently are SEC teams. Yeah. Clemson would only yep. get in out of respect for going undefeated and they would be like right. 14 point underdogs against whoever they played, either Ohio State or Georgia in the yeah. in the first semifinal game like Clemson would be filling the role of Notre Dame if if Clemson were to make the playoff undefeated because Tennessee Alabama I mean Alabama I don't think is going to win the SEC championship game but under this circumstance Alabama runs the table and turns it around like in that scenario three of the four best teams would genuinely be SEC teams right now Clemson is actually the fourth best team I guess maybe Michigan is but under this scenario Alabama would be a top four team if they beat Georgia or Tennessee in the SEC championship game yeah yeah for sure I I think that would be madness it would be stupid fun it would be so much which 
kind of makes Tennessee Georgia like a, a not exactly quarterfinal game, but like kind of a quarterfinal game. I mean, technically Georgia would just have to beat Alabama in the SEC championship game, which I think Georgia would be a touchdown favorite against Bama on a neutral field. At, but at the same time, like Tennessee Georgia is kind of like a quarterfinal game, kind of like how Ohio State Michigan is kind of a quarterfinal game. Like, it's kind of interesting how those scenarios would play out if that's how God Tennessee beating Bama just changed the entire landscape of college football. Cause now you just introduce Tennessee into this whole random equation at the top. Yeah. It, 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 there's so much madness that has just been created after this. <laughs> it's just, it's crazy. It's yeah. I mean, it's kind of madness. And at the same time, it's the same names that we're used to just Tennessee yeah. instead of, Notre Dame at this point. I haven't watched yeah. much Clemson, oh, yeah, yeah. but you know they're they're. I'm guessing Clemson a very very good team. Make it even more complicated. <laughs> it would just ugh. yeah. yeah there's why, so much that could still happen. Why couldn't Wake Forest have just beaten Clemson? <laughs> like we would we wouldn't have to be in this Clemson purgatory if that were the case. Like I yeah. I have I mean I really, kind of watched them play, but like. I think Clemson's a great team, right? They're great the same way Michigan is, right? Where it's like you're beating the shit out of lesser opponents, so like therefore we think you're pretty good. But the the one close game, the one ranked team Clemson has played all season. I guess they NC State was ranked, but uh, like Wake Forest was the one toughest game they've had, and they went to double overtime. So I just don't know what to do with Clemson at this point. Yeah, I mean it's it's tough because Clemson. Clemson's got the luckiest draw this year because they're in the easiest power five division, right? Or conference. I mean, um, so they've really gotten a lucky draw with having easier opponents. And I feel like if, as long as like, like you said, as long as they're on the table, they're going to get in there just out of respect for going undefeated. You know, they're not, I don't, I don't get the feeling that Clemson's the top four team in the college football, even if they run the table, I just don't get that idea. Um, I feel like if right now, if I had to have make a bet between Tennessee or Clemson, I'd probably lean towards Tennessee. And Tennessee was just ranked eight before beating Alabama, so I definitely think that there's now, a, you know, a big question mark on you know where Clemson's at as a team. So I, I feel like I don't know. It just depends on, uh, of course, what happens. But it, it, it feels like it would have been right for Clemson to have lost at least one game by now because it doesn't feel like they deserve to be here necessarily. But maybe I'm jumping the gun. And but, but Clemson Clemson deserves to be in because they're the fourth best team, it feels like. Like Clemson is the fourth best team, but we've known from past years the fourth best team is like 2016 Washington, those two Notre Dame seasons, Cincinnati last year, that one year Michigan State got shut out by Alabama in the college football playoff. Like we know that the fourth team in the playoff is kind of just a team that we kind of are like, hey, congratulations, you made it. You get the right to get the brakes beaten off you by Alabama or one year it was LSU and this year it's Ohio State. Like, congratulations, you get the right to have the brakes beaten off of you in the playoff, but you get to play in the playoffs. So. I mean, that's kind of the role Clemson's filling now, which, by the way, is kind of what I said they would be when I said last year that like Clemson, as we know, it is over. They were like a lightning in a bottle type of team and they're all their coordinators left. Their athletic director went down to Miami. It's kind of just Dabo and the four to five star players that he's recruited. And they're kind of a tier two program now. They're yeah. kind of like what Michigan is. And yep. that's still a really good place to be in. It's just not 
two championships and playing in five national championship games like Clemson's yeah. had the last six years. And, and, and they, they haven't really had a quarterback because, of, you know, for that to be the case, you know, it feels like DJ Ungolele has been solid, but is he that guy like Trevor Lawrence was? Absolutely not. You know, and I think that plays a big factor. And they have a great defense, a very, very good defense, but is it Georgia defense? No. So there really isn't any specific, I think, factor on their team uh, aside from maybe Will Shipley, who is just insane, uh, who suggests that they would th- that they are good enough, you know what I mean? Like, there's not like two, there's not any specific part of their team that you just go, yeah, this they're unstoppable. <laughs> yeah, I Clemson feels like those those Notre Dame teams of the past, which, by the way, like having a bunch of money and you know, like they still have all those four and a half and five star guys that they recruited when Trevor Lawrence was there, so. I think the I think the machine's going to keep rolling for Clemson for a, a couple more years, but like not next year, but the year after that, it'll be really interesting to see what Clemson is because we're talking about the entire like foundation that they tried to keep intact for a decade. It's all gone at this point, and all that's left is Dabo. So that's usually when you start losing games to Florida State, or you start losing games to NC State, or you you have a nine and three season like they had last year, like that's kind of when that starts to become the norm for some programs and maybe Clemson's like this exception where they'll continue to win the ACC because the ACC doesn't have a team that can compete with them, like legitimately compete with them every year. I know Miami's trying to be that team, but Miami feels like they're years away, like two years from now, I'm really interested to see what Clemson is because it's kind of the, the, like they they would kind of reach like the will must champ stage of, of like Florida after urban Meyer. And like, I feel, I feel like Dabo is going to replace Nick Saban at Alabama. And I feel like that would be the time where like Dabo's the only one left from the championship foundation. Maybe it's time for him to go to bigger and better things. Yeah. Uh, I can certainly see that. Honestly. Uh, I think that, I don't know. It's just a Clemson's in such a, I, I, like you said, they're, they're in the tier two, you know, and I feel like right now, uh, you know, they're really just benefiting off of having the ACC as a conference at the moment, you know, and, and I feel like if they were in the, they were in the big 12 or the SEC or really, I think even in the Pac-12 right now, it'd be a completely different story this season. And, and they're just really getting a bit of the doubt. So, I mean, Dabo has been, Dabo has been fantastic with what he's done there, but I, I definitely do agree with you. I think that, you know, it's certainly possible I could see Dabo having bigger and better things for him, you know, down the line. I think the only thing bigger and better for him because he play was a walk on at Alabama 30 years ago and has talked about that. Pro- I think Bama is just the one job that would yeah. entice him yeah. and Bama would spend all the money in the world to get Dabo because yeah, that man sure. won two national championships at Clemson. That's kind of ridiculous that that happened. Right. Yeah. And I mean, talk about the perfect, the perfect replacement for Nick Saban whenever he retires, you know, like that's, that's ideal. Yeah. Clemson. Clemson's in that weird space because like I think all the conferences this year you can point to and say like other than the SEC all the other conferences you can point to and be like hey they have their flaws and everyone's beating up on bad teams like uh, there's there's this big void in the Big Ten like there's a massive drop off in the Big Ten after Ohio State and Michigan but like I can't the reason I know Michigan and Clemson are good is because they're beating the crap out of all these teams that they're playing in conference which I just wish they could play one team that would give them a scare, but that team doesn't exist currently in either of those conferences. Yeah, 
uh, sorry, I have a little bit of a life back there. I didn't really hear the end of that, but uh, no, yeah, I, I was just saying I that. Uh, no, I was just saying that there's not really any team that in either of those conferences that's going to give Michigan or Ohio State a scare, except Purdue. Purdue's always there, lurking around the corner. <laughs> Purdue just exists to do that, right? Like, there's absolutely no other reason their program exists other than just to be that one team that can scare someone. <laughs> yeah, so, they they did it and, twice and to Illinois. Ohio State. Yeah, they. Yeah. 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 I mean, there's a you know there's a couple other solid teams in the Big Ten, but yeah, I would agree. There, there definitely is a, a pretty considerable drop off in my eyes after uh, Ohio State and Michigan as well. I would agree with that. But uh, <laughs> here's you know, the bleak existence of uh, of teams that play Michigan. They are they, Michigan plays. They have a bye this week. They play Michigan State at home next week, which yeah. mm, easy. Then then they play at Rutgers, home against <laughs> Nebraska, and home against Illinois. Yeah, Illinois is the only other solid team I, I can really think of right now in that in that conference, aside from Michigan and Ohio State, and that's really only because of Chase Brown. So, uh, yeah, uh, and they're decent too. They've just been really good. But uh, yeah, I mean, unless Illinois plays spoiler, uh, yeah, it feels it feels like it's gonna always it's gonna come down for sure to that Michigan Ohio State game. And, you know, yeah, that's we're gonna see. for playoff purposes. But then there's fun stuff you can follow, like. Oh, I don't know who's going to play in the Big Ten championship game. It's going to be either Illinois or Purdue. <laughs> That's kind of stupid, but it's going to be either Illinois or Purdue in the Big Ten championship game. I hope it's Illinois, just because I feel like I feel like that would be huge for them. And I love I, I've actually kind of enjoyed watching Chase Brown this year. I mean, they they look pretty good, and that's the only team I can maybe maybe Purdue has a chance. Like like I just said, they're always one of those teams that shocks a really good team, but. I feel like looking at it based off of this season and this season alone, Illinois might be the only other team in that conference that would even have a chance against one in Michigan or Ohio State. I mean, I thought Penn State was in that group, but Penn State not really looking like that anymore after what happened to to them against Michigan on Saturday where they had like, I think, 30 total yards of offense in the second half. They converted like one first down in the entire second half of that game. Like I thought it was I thought it was Penn State, but if it's not Penn State, who is the best team in the Big Ten? I have no idea. Yeah, third I, best I have team. absolutely no clue. Yeah, I, I, I have no clue. That becomes a big question mark, right? Like It gets really murky after that. Yeah, I have no idea what to do with that one. Uh, I don't know. That one will be interesting. Pac-12. Maybe Minnesota. Maybe Minnesota's Minnesota. like one and two in conference play, though. Like, Minnesota's... Uh, Minnesota is technically worse than Nebraska right now. Let me read you the Big Ten West standings. It's marvelous at this point. It's marvelous, this Big Ten West standings. So here's the state, because remember, they go by conference play. So currently in the standings, you have six and one Illinois in first place. Uh, Then you have tied for first five and two Purdue. Uh, third place, you have three and four Nebraska, who fired their coach four weeks ago. <laughs> that's that's wild. That is wild that they're even there. Wow. Um, in, in fourth place, via tiebreakers, uh, you have one and five Northwestern, <laughs> whose oh only victory came against said three and four Nebraska. <laughs> Nebraska, right? Um, Dude, they lost five straight. Then, including to an FBS, including to an FCS team, they lost to an FCS team, and they are they are fourth in the Big Ten West at one and five. 
Um, then you have Iowa at three and three. <laughs> then you have Minnesota at four and two, but because of tiebreakers, Minnesota is sixth. <laughs> and then in dead I- last, Iowa- you have. <laughs> Sorry. As a dead last is Wisconsin. Yep. Wow. Uh, and, and speaking of which, Iowa, who has scored 88 total points this season, too. Yeah. That, that <laughs> like, like 30 of those came against Nevada, too. It's like one game they scored a ton of points, and every other game has been nine points a game. Yeah, they, they scored less than 10 points a game in half of their games this season. And ironically, they're, they're st- they still somehow won one of those games. <laughs> So yeah, it's just yeah. I don't know. That is wild. If you're the team that gave up 27 points, because like Nevada's the worst team in the Mountain West, is there is there a team? Oh my God, Rutgers. Rutgers gave up 27 to Iowa. Okay, so <laughs> Rutgers is that team that gave up 27 to Iowa. <laughs> it it oh, it's just astounding to me. I mean, I'm just looking at Spencer Petras' stats. I mean, have you like seen them? It's just it's it's really bad. The, the only offense that is worse than Iowa through it was back four games. They played six now, but through four games, the only team that was worse than Iowa offensively was 2014 Wake Forest, which for for those who don't know, that's the famous meme of Frank Beamer throwing his arms up because it's zero zero and going to overtime. That team is the only team in FBS this century that is worse than Iowa's offense. Yeah, and that's saying a lot. It is saying a lot. <laughs> and that, by the way, this is what Iowa wants too. Like Kirk Ferentz, I, I don't know if you've seen those funny videos on Twitter where like the Big Ten coaches answer questions about like who would play them in a movie. Um, have you seen those videos go around on Twitter? I don't think so. Okay, there, there's a great one where basically during media day they ask all the coaches questions and they're like, "What is one phrase that's overused in football?" <laughs> and they get to Kirk Ferentz, and Kirk Ferentz says, "Offensive yardage." <laughs> is a phrase that's overused in football offensive you couldn't have scripted that better on like snl he's just like offensive yardage we we talk too much about moving the ball on offense that's crazy (laughs) like ideally he wants to score enough points to get to 10 wins but doesn't really care that much if you get there anyways he just wants to punt and control time of possession and make football not fun he literally literally like the virginia basketball of football <laughs> yeah it's it's by design it's not designed to be this bad like the offense is a spec right. this might be the worst of all of the kirk ferentz offenses but it's designed to look like this it's supposed to be win a game 14 to 10 it's it's supposed to look like that kind of by choice there are other ways to do it iowa obviously can't recruit at the highest levels so like you want to find winning within the margins but other teams have done it without doing it the way iowa has other schools have the same resources and recruiting ability as iowa and they don't look like this right yeah i don't know yeah that's just that's just crazy (laughs) yeah Purdue is kind of a, is a good comp to Iowa, but Purdue at least like scores a ton of points and like kind of recruits a quarterback every now and then like Iowa, they, they right. like Nate Stanley. And then we're going to get a bunch of tight ends that block. Yep. And all of them are going to be first round picks. <laughs> right. Yeah. It, yeah. It's just astounding. <laughs> that is, that is, it, it, I, I've never, I've never watched a, such a boring team in my life. 
Like, yeah, it's, absolutely. It's, By the way, if you play fantasy football, there's like a 20% chance you play a tight end who went to Iowa. If if you play fantasy football, there's like, oh, a, it's, yeah, it's, it's George Kittle. It's TJ Hawkinson. It's Noah Fant. Like Iowa just keeps producing tight ends that block really well. And they all end up being first round picks. Yeah. Yeah. They, they, they develop a lot of great tight ends. They developed two, you know, two great tight ends in one class, Noah Fant and TJ Hawkinson, of course. So uh, yeah, it, it is, uh, it is impressive because they, they really don't have a receiver on their team. So they just go with all tight ends. And they got another guy right now, Sam LaPorta. He's going to be a draft pick eventually. There you go. Iowa, good tight ends and bad football. But at least their defense is kind of good. The Denver Broncos of college football, the Iowa Hawkeyes, Denver Broncos of college football. Yep. yep. Except Iowa was ranked number two in the country somehow last year. And then Purdue happened. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah. The, the, someone has to go to the, the, the Big Ten championship game. And last year it was Iowa. I think they lost 41-0 to Michigan. <laughs> Yeah, who would have thought we'd be making fun of the Big Ten out of all, this, all, all the out of all the conferences this year? Like, I would have definitely had guessed, you know, Pac-12 or or maybe even the Big Twelve before I would have guessed the Big Ten. That's kind of funny. Oh, we could talk about the ACC Coastal going out with a bang, like oh, ACC. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm not. I'm not trying to say that they're, they're the new ACC Coastal or anything, but I'm definitely saying that they're they're still kind of uh, being made fun of a little bit at least. <laughs> But we're being forced to find a new ACC Coastal because there's going to be no divisions in the ACC after this year. So, you know, there's no more ACC Coastal anymore, where, again, I bring this up all the time. Seven different teams, what all seven programs won the conference championship or the division title in seven consecutive seasons. They they had seven different teams in seven years. There's only seven teams in the entire division. Each team made it to the championship game once. They lost every single game. Until Pitt won last year, it had been 12 seasons since the last time an ACC Coastal team beat either Florida State or Clemson for the ACC championship. And Georgia Tech fired their coach and since then have won three consecutive games and are currently sitting second place in the conference. (laughs) It's crazy. (laughs) Only to lose by 80 to Georgia. Yeah, they're going to lose. No, look, there is a there is a scenario. There there is a scenario that could play out here where Georgia Tech, who again, they fired their coach after starting 0 and 3. They they can win four consecutive games, finish the year with a 6 and 1 conference record. Again, they were preseason picked to finish dead last. They've been outscored by Georgia. I don't have it in front of me, but the last two times they played, they've been outscored by Georgia, I believe 98 to 7. I believe yep. that is not an exaggeration. 98 to 7. They have been outscored by Georgia the last two times they have played. Georgia Tech could beat undefeated UNC for uh the ACC Coastal title and then the very next week be 40 point underdogs against Georgia. That's a scenario <laughs> that could happen. Only in the Coastal. <laughs> Georgia Tech could because they play UNC for their last conference game. And right now UNC's undefeated in the ACC Coastal. There is a scenario where Georgia Tech runs the table, beats UNC with an interim coach, wins the ACC Coastal and then is 40 point underdogs against Georgia. That is a that is a real scenario that is possible. Georgia Tech I think <laughs> just beat Virginia tonight to get to 3 and 1 in conference play. Wow, it's okay. it's a 
it's a thing that might actually happen. Okay, I'm wrong. Sorry. Virginia came back. They're winning 16 to 9 at the time of recording. So, oh. Dang. <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> for for at least the time that we're recording this. By the time this comes out tomorrow, this scenario might be dead because again, Georgia Tech is terrible. They just somehow won two conference games the last two weeks. Who were the teams who lost to Georgia Tech? I think one of them was Virginia Tech. I, I don't even remember uh, who is the Duke who's the Pitt. team that lost to Georgia Tech. Uh, Duke and Pitt. Oh, one of them was Pitt, and then one of them was Duke. Yep. Okay. Yeah, Georgia Tech, terrible team, and also second place in the ACC Coastal because everyone's second place in the ACC Coastal at some point during the season. That's how right, that one yeah, works. No. <laughs> Yeah, if everyone's first, everyone has to be second too, right? Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Everyone is second at some point. They might finish dead last. Virginia currently is dead last in the conference, and Virginia's beaten Georgia Tech. <laughs> you know what's funny? I I think I just found this. Uh, Georgia has a minus total point differential on the season, uh, despite <laughs> being <laughs> the second in place in the ACC Coastal. Like, it's, and it's not by like a small margin either. They have scored 104 points total, and they've allowed 168 points. So they are minus 64 <laughs> on the season, and are second place in the ACC Coastal. That is that is something. That is That's amazing. That's absolutely amazing. <laughs> We that were is, saying at the start of the season, that. if they covered a 36 point spread against Clemson. I, and they did. They did cover a thirty-six point spread against Clemson, and and now they're and now they're two and they fired their coach. They fired their coach after starting zero and three, and they have done nothing but win since. It, it, <laughs> it, it, it's funny because they actually have the worst total point differential in the ACC. How? Somehow. How? <laughs> the next worst is Virginia, who is currently beating them. <laughs> so, <laughs> That is crazy. ACC Coastal, rest in peace, rest in power. The ACC Coastal, your finest hour. Thank you for being, thank you for being yourselves. I love it so much. Thank you, ACC Coastal, for everything. Uh, it's <laughs> just <something>. magical. <laughs> Georgia Tech only beat Western Carolina by 18 points. <laughs> and then went on to beat Pitt by five. <laughs> That's actually impressive that they beat Pitt. I did not even know this happened, actually. Not only that, on they, they beat Pitt in Pitt. Yeah, I, that's beat, a good win. Is it? Is it? Is, is I mean, Pitt a good in win? Hindsight, in hindsight, does it really matter? They're, gonna, they're probably going to lose the rest of the, game, the games they have this season, right? Like They play at Florida State at the loss. They play at Virginia Tech. They might beat Virginia Tech. But then they play at home against Miami, which I guess is also possible. Let's say, best case scenario right now, they beat Virginia Tech and they beat Miami. They have to win this game to have a chance at making the, the uh, making a bowl game, right? Because they're, be- they're not beating Florida State. They're not beating at North Carolina. They're not winning <laughs> at Georgia, obviously. So they- there's a legitimate chance this team is second right now, and they're going to be finishing 3-9 and nine on the season. <laughs> but again, why is Georgia Tech talking about a bowl game? They fired their coach. <laughs> They fired yeah. their coach already. Yeah. <laughs> Why are yeah. they talking about a bowl game? Because they play in the ACC Coastal. That's why That's they're the talking why. about a bowl game. Yeah. That's the only reason why. <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny. 
Virginia start talking about a bowl game. Did you just fire your coach? Yes, you did. Are you talking about a bowl game? Absolutely. Even yeah, though you're dead last year. Because Nebraska's right doing it too. Right? Like, I mean, three teams have to from, I think Iowa's ultimately going to beat Nebraska, but there's a chance Iowa and Nebraska on Black Friday, because again, it's not Black Friday without Iowa and Nebraska playing a stupid, <laughs> Iowa and Nebraska playing a stupid game on Black Friday at 10 in the morning on the West Coast. That game might be for a bowl play-in. Both teams might be five and six when Iowa plays Nebraska on Black Friday in the saddest rivalry in the sport. Yeah. Yeah, that awesome. is that is wild. <laughs> Nebraska might get a bowl game and then they're going to hire Lance Leopold. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Actually, I think I think now that Wisconsin, I just realized Lance Leopold like coached at that Wisconsin D3 school for like 8 years, so I think he's probably going to get the Wisconsin job, but like I mean Nebraska should if not him I'll call up fine. Jamie Chadwell. Just yeah. might as well. I I'd get I get whoever you could can at this point if you're Nebraska. Just try to get someone to stabilize your team. Yeah, yeah. This oof. Ugh, bowl game for Nebraska. What what sad team? What, what what's the worst bowl game that a Big Ten team can get into? I'm trying to think. Would they play like in the Boca Raton Bowl or something? Like what's a what's a sad bowl game that Nebraska would have to play in? It's a good question. I would I would have no clue. Down the list of bowl games, I, I forget their names. Yeah, that that's fair. Uh, they they'd have to play. Who's a who's a six and six Pac twelve team? We could force them to play in like Arizona or something. It's a sad a sad six and six Pac twelve team that they could play. Uh, <laughs> let's see who let's who's see. the worst of the Pac twelve bowl teams. Uh, God, I guess all those Pac twelve teams are terrible this year. Um, yeah, I was thinking the same thing. Oregon State, <laughs> could we make them play Oregon State? <laughs> yeah, I, I Oregon State might be that team. They that or well, I don't know. Even then, though, they're five and two. Maybe maybe Cal. No, pet Cal. Cal, do you, have you seen what Cal did? They lost. Who did no. they lose to last week? They lost to someone like atrocious last week. I'm trying to remember oh. who it was. Uh, maybe no, but the, State. Give me Wazoo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Wazoo's a great one. Wazoo. Oh yeah, Cal lost to Colorado last week. Colorado. Oh, okay. <laughs> Cal lost did. to Colorado. Um, yeah, no. The, the Pac-12 was a bad example because the Pac-12 is very clearly there are five ranked teams and five teams that might go three and nine. There, there, right. there is no middle of <laughs> the Pac-12 this year. Yeah, they're very yeah. top heavy. The Pac-12 is all going to beat each other up, but this year is not one of those years where like. Like, remember last year, the ACC, I think 60% of the conference finished with either five, six, or seven wins last year in the ACC. It's not that this year for the Pac-12. The Pac-12 is we have five teams that are going to go nine and three and five teams that are going to go three and nine. That's the Pac-12. Yeah, for sure. Who's the other crappy conference? ACC. One of the who's an ACC team? Oh, we're gonna like force them to play. Uh, what's Ooh. it? Florida State, Nebraska, Florida State. <laughs> Go play in like I don't know, like the Little Caesars Bowl or something. Little Caesars Bowl. Wow, I can't wait to not watch that game. <laughs> <laughs> Nebraska, Florida State. Somehow the two best college football programs of the 1990s. Right. How far have they fall? 